Why do you call yourself Voltron? I don't know, because it's like super badass. Oh yeah. Hey Steve, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going great. I'm excited to start. This is this is a big episode. Big, it big is. one today. What number are we at? This is the big one zero, baby. We oh, did it. Oh man. Double digits. We got it there. Yeah, we're kind of at that 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 point of no return where like after this you know i figure almost everyone can do 10 episodes of a pod and so but now mm-hmm. it's like we're really gonna like feel ourselves and see okay does this <laughs> does this pod have legs can we continue it and uh i think we can yeah we're legit now man and it's like mm. we've even hit like double digits with our followers on um on twitter too Ooh, have we that's great yeah see? yeah we have 15 one five. <laughs> oh, beautiful see it's a yeah. it's a cute little movie club that that we have uh, over there yeah it's nice it's awesome yeah thank you for everybody who's been listening and uh, you know especially the day one listeners like uh brandon and jacob and um mm. yeah and all the new listeners that we have now who've discovered us through twitter yeah welcome you're welcome and uh we have some good movies lined up we're gonna do it so this episode is, is another one where we both picked kind of old favorites but there's a theme. There's a June kind of summer theme with the movies, and we'll kind of get there when we get there. But yes. um, yeah, so we're gonna revisit some old favorites. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And also, you know, being the tenth episode, you know, we gotta raise our game a little. And you said to me, you communicated off record that uh, we, you have some new um, jingles. Yes, we got some new sounds. We're starting to get all the you know bells and whistles in line here. You know, we're running a tight ship, and um, for the new segments that we got developing for in, in the quick hits, yeah, you're, you're going to be hearing some some new stingers. I'm excited. All right, well, let's go with the tried and true classic. Let's start with quick cuts. Quick cuts. There we go. So, what's been up, Steve? What have you been watching lately? All right, well. The big dog, the big one that I want to talk about, Beavis and Butthead. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. I watched Beavis it, too. And... Oh, good. Okay, good. You saw it. Good. Okay, it's on yeah. Paramount+. Plus. Um, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. And I honestly haven't thought about Beavis and Butthead in quite some time. Same. Um, but I saw that there, that there was a movie out, and I don't know. I just got instantly excited to go pay the five bucks, get a Paramount Plus account, and watch it the day that it dropped, which was I think was like last Thursday or Friday. And um, man, I I would say I lightly chuckled the whole sh- movie, and there was at least two out loud belly laughs. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed you, it too. What'd you think? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I I enjoyed it as well. I mean, the thing is. I didn't really feel like we needed another Beavis and Butthead movie, <laughs> but it was entertaining. And, you know, considering, too, we're now, like, halfway through the year, you know, we're on the cusp of July, uh, you know, and I, I don't know. It's been a weird first half of, of the year movie-wise, so I, I'll take anything I can get that, like, will just fully entertain me. And I was for, like, uh, is it, like, 85 minutes? Like, a super short yeah. feature film. Yeah, it's um, it's short, it's quick, it gets right to it. It's a really simple plot, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. Um, <laughs> and and it ties into like how they fit into the zeitgeist too of just like being gone 
for from 98 to now you know yeah. <laughs> like we haven't heard from them i think there was like a special on mtv around like 2011 but mm-hmm. that was it you know other than that we yeah we haven't really seen beavis and butthead in anything no no and in a way just the whole mike judge kind of universe you know through beavis and butthead to idiocracy and all these things they kind of really ring true today that you know just the the deterioration of oh yeah of society and of people and they're and like i don't know there's something so basic about beavis and butthead you know they basically they just want to score and they just think certain things are cool and certain things suck and that's it but that it's kind of a way that you i don't know you can it's a it's a it's a personality style that i think is more adept now that you see on twitter like it's kind of like early shit posting kind of a sense of humor right um, and, and like i mean people talked about idiocracy especially after you know trump won that you know it was like mm-hmm. man it predicted the future <laughs> yeah like idiocracy came out in 2006 and then you know 10 years later this is america yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what happens yeah um and that's the amazing thing about mike judge too is like his his longevity of like, you know, you could easily just dismiss it when it was on MTV, like Beavis and Butt, it was just like a dumb show. But, yeah. you know, it clearly is now a reflection of stuff that, you know, back then the only distraction was TV. But now, you know, with internet, social media, all of that, like it really has made people dumber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's wild that, you know, uh, like how timely that was for for Mike Judge to be doing that in the 90s. And it's a real shame too. Like, I don't know. Uh, I haven't really explored Paramount Plus that much, but are are they streaming the old Beavis and Butthead episodes on there too? Yeah, the whole Beavis and Butthead archive oh, is there. Wow. And, and I heard on a recent uh, Mike Judge interview that there's going to be a new season or a, or just a, oh, a, a, a whole block of new Beavis and Butthead episodes that are going to be coming out. And I nice. guess instead of like talking about music videos, they're gonna be commenting on like TikTok things and <laughs> things that things that they're seeing oh, online. Oh man, yeah, that's so funny. Oh, it my could God. be really good. Um, yeah, I mean, even though that you know, there's definitely a lot of YouTube uh, reaction channels that are already like that. But to get the the Beavis and Butthead takes would be great. And I mean, that's really it because there's no more music videos for them to comment on. MTV doesn't play music videos anymore. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, you'll only get, like, a music video if it's, like, Kendrick Lamar or Beyonce, you know? Like, it's now an event for... Or Kanye. Like, it's an event for a music video to drop. And, like, it's it's got, like, production value that sometimes, like, the, the budgets are more than movies, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, yeah, like, it, it it would be tough to sustain that. But, uh, you know, that's also the reason why I asked, because with the old... I'm curious to wa- go back and watch the older episodes, because mm-hmm. um, you mentioned the, the commentator, uh, the commentating on the, the music videos. Um, when I had the DVDs, like, they had to cut a lot of that out, because, yeah. you know, obviously they had to... They couldn't get the rights to the music. Mm. It was the same with Daria, too. Like, with Daria, it was the, the soundtrack. They had to, mm. like, replace it with, like, sound-alikes because, you know, all this 90s music that was so free and easy to access back then, you could just, like, have a needle drop right. of, like, Smashing Pumpkins. Now you got to pay them, like, a million dollars to feature it into your, in your show, oh. you know? 
So, yeah. um, but you know, I, I, I understand the reasoning for the musicians too, because, you know, yeah. they make nothing off streaming. So like yeah. most of the money they make now is through like, uh, needle drops in TV shows and movies, you know? Yeah. And, so. it, 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 and it's kind of funny, like at the time, I, I, I remember watching Beavis and Butthead and not liking w- the music video parts. Like mm-hmm. I kind of wanted them just to get back to the narrative. Yeah. The classroom. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but like... In a way, it was kind of yeah. It's kind of early reaction videos was you know like right. be, like beefs and butter were you know were fictional reaction videos to something, and it's and those things are so popular right now that I am curious about yeah their reactions to videos now. So it's like it kind it's kind of they were in a way ahead of their time, um, right? Sort of in doing that, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel. And I I mean, that's what I enjoy about the movie is that it also isn't trying to change the recipe of what Beavis and Butthead used no. to be. They're not obviously reacting to any music videos, but there was just something like comforting about seeing them sitting on that couch looking mm-hmm. at the TV again. <laughs> just, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I mean, we can even talk about the animation style. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't change it that much. I love how they kept like the squiggly lines you know, yeah. like kind of um, shivering, uh, mm-hmm. just like the old show. But you know, obviously, I, I feel like this this was animated on a computer. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's definitely a, a lot slicker. And you know, the other characters that aren't Beavis and Butthead, like they've definitely right. improved on the details on on the drawings yeah. and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. It, 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 I was trying to remember what the previous plot was to the to Beavis and Butthead Do America, which I think came out like yeah. in the I think in '96 or something like right. that. Right. Um, and the plot, I went back, the plot is basically they're traveling across the country. Um, um, they've come across like a, a group of thieves and one of them is, is like a, an attractive woman. And she's like, okay, yeah. if you if you kind of smuggle this thing across the country, I'll score with you in Washington. <laughs> yeah. And so that, you know, and so that's their goal is to score, you know? Yeah. And so, in, in the, which is so funny in this one, it's almost the exact same plot, except the, the woman who they're trying to score with doesn't know that yeah. that, that that that's the premise. Yeah. So like that's the only change. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the humor draws from like misunderstandings, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I I still like Beavis and Butthead Do America a lot more than this one. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, those just had like laughs that I was just. Huge, huge belly laughs that I'm just man. Totally. Even thinking about it, I'm already laughing. Like you know, when they go to Hoover Dam, I don't know if you remember that scene. Yeah, what happens in it? Um, they look at a a switch that says <laughs> Master Station, but they read it as Masturbation, uh-huh. and they flip it, and then it like floods all of the dam, like it releases every, <laughs> all the water. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. I I thought I thought the best line in this movie, spoiler alert, if you want to skip it, you can skip 15 seconds. I thought the best line is when they were captive um and uh Serena is talking to the agents and she's like, "I think that they're maybe deep state assets." And then Budhead says, "She said eight ass." 
<laughs> that, <laughs> like for me that, that was like the most like what like like how do you get that out of deep state assets yeah and it, it's but, like everything they're just taking like the the rudest part of it like you know some yeah. one of the agents i think mentions like jurisdiction and he's a, he just said dick you know? yeah <laughs> like and then you know they they take it to another level where there's this callback where it's like they're still laughing about it like hours later. Like they're still like mentioning it. Like you remember when she said eight ass and then she said she didn't say it, but she actually said it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. so good. It was funny. It was good. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Mike Judge fan. Like I, I pretty mm-hmm. much watch anything he does because, yeah, yeah. I, I do think he is like one of the great comic yeah. talents. Like I, I even enjoy him almost all of his movies i think the only one that was kind of like weak was uh extract but i also understand you know like he's been through a lot in terms of getting the short shrift like you know i i didn't i don't know if you're familiar with what happened with his three movies with uh fox like office space idiocracy and extract what happened um so basically they they didn't promote the movies you know, um, and then they would release them in like three theaters nationwide. Like I remember just being so excited for Idiocracy. Like I saw the movie poster at my local theater at the Edwards in West Covina. I was like, man, I can't wait for this. And it never came out in that theater, even though they had the poster. You never saw a trailer because it was just, yeah, Fox just buried them. You yeah. know, uh, which was crazy because, you know, these movies like obviously made them a lot of money on DVD when people started discovering them, you know, especially Office Space, you know, which is now considered, you know, modern classic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back then that was just it. So I feel like he was so dispirited that by the time he made Extract, he just knew that Fox was going to bury it again. So he, I don't think he was really trying <laughs> as hard yeah. anymore, you know, but Idiocracy is amazing. I think that that's his best work actually out of everything that he's done. Yeah. Um, yeah so um yeah it's just really a shame that that's what happened but then you know he kind of bounced back with with silicon valley even though you know um oh, it basically right. yeah for yeah that. yeah yeah uh, but even with that you know the the problems were you know he initially wanted that to be a movie and i think hbo was like how about we make it a tv show yeah and that's what happened like uh, stretched over five seasons it just like um i don't know if actually it even lasted six it just went on I for too went long. Six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it just went on for too long, and then it was always like the same kind of uh, obstacle that they had to face, and then they overcome it, and then the season's over. You know, it was just, it, yeah. it became very repetitive after a while. Even though you know, cool. there's so many like individual gags and bits in it that are great, and obviously the the performers are are amazing in it too. All the actors. But, yeah, it's a great cast. Although it, it yeah. is, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've noticed that. Ever since Thomas Middleditch got canceled, he's been he's what? been MIA for like over a year. Like he I didn't even he know he, b- he got canceled. Oh wow! Yeah, I he didn't got even canceled. know that. He, he, there what was happened? like articles that came out. Uh, uh, it's at least a year ago, if not maybe a little bit, a little bit longer. I know. Um, the it, other it was guy. Like, it was like goth clubs. Like he was like what? linked to like goth sex clubs and maybe being handsy or <laughs> harassy to what? like the women in like these like sex clubs yeah and the, and then so it's like it's 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 nothing like illegal or you know right. but it's it, but it was enough it, it was enough grossness that like i think he had a sitcom that was on a network that got 
canceled. Oh, man. Yeah, and he was and on then, like those and, and he's just been unheard of for like over a year. Like yeah. like he he's not on social media anymore. It's wild. Yeah, he had like that uh, that improv podcast too. Mm-hmm. I remember. Um, that was a really I, good show. Yeah. yeah. Um, Middle Edition Schwartz. Right, right. I, I, yeah, but I ha- hadn't been following it, uh, so I didn't know because I know like T.J. Miller got canceled too, mm-hmm. who plays Ehrlich. Yep. So, yep. um, and I mean, eventually, you know, they got rid of him on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's just crazy, man. Oh man, yeah. Because yeah, I, I think, bizarre. Yeah, yeah, he's he's also a very uh, good like comic performer so oh, man that's a yeah shame. i mean he, like i listened to that that podcast comedy bang bang which is an improv right. podcast it's been on around for like tw- 12 years or, or something like that and um yeah he was a star standout on that like he, like he would be on that at least once a year if not multiple times a year and just was a fan man. favorite and yeah he hasn't been on in several years now since yeah oh, weird. that's wild yeah, I, I say this now looking at my Silicon Valley poster that I have on my wall. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I bought this poster that uh, uh, one of my favorite like uh, comic book artists, uh, Daniel Klaus, did like a promotional mm-hmm. poster. So I have like his kind of uh, style of drawing of all the characters uh, sitting around that table, you know, with Thomas Middleditch right in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So such a good performer i think all, mm. all of those middle edition schwartz improv mm-hmm. episodes that were on i think it was on netflix i'm sure it's i'm sure it's not there anymore right um but yeah i, I thought that they were all really funny but oh, man. um that's a but shame. yeah mike judge the, the funny thing about mike judge he's so good and so talented and his his voices are so great mm-hmm. but i but his interview like his actual voice his interview voice is actually kind of hard to listen to at least yeah wasn't he on rogan recently yeah he was on yeah. rogan but but just he's you know he just he talks very un, under his breath and quiet and it's gotcha. just like you have to really um i don't know it takes effort to listen is what i find yeah man oh I, yeah I, I actually i can't even remember what his voice sounds like but yeah he is like a very smart guy that yeah. is one thing like <laughs> contrary no, to the I characters mean, he plays he he sounds like butthead grown up and like well-spoken <laughs> he just has that kind of a deep gotcha. voice that that if he laughs if he chuckles it's gonna sound like butthead you know <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I i honestly believe he is like i mean his his peer is like um matt graining like they're mm-hmm. both like those guys who are super smart who do stupid comedy you know like they're the the subject matter of their comedy is stupidity you know mm-hmm. but that's the reason why it's so funny because they have that intelligence yeah yeah mm-hmm. so yeah okay. i mean you know right. uh, i i feel like this this beavis and butthead movie like it really depends on how you feel towards them and and that kind of humor but yeah. if you if you're on board if you're tuned into that wavelength you'll enjoy it yeah, you're either in or you're out. And the older I get, the more I kind of like those kinds of things. Wow, that's funny, Steve. You mentioned that because, you know, it's like most people think about it as juvenile humor. And you're <laughs> saying that you're growing older and you appreciate it more. Yeah, well, wow. you know, it's like it's just, it's it's not trying to cater to everything. It's a, it's just it's specific. It's 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 in a lane. You know, yeah. it's like jackass in a way. It's like jackass. Right, yeah. it's, it, it's like it's like you're either gonna think this is really funny, or you're gonna be like, "This is so obnoxious," and that's <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah, and I I think I I went through a phase too where I also was kind of 
thinking, oh, should I just be like outgrowing this now? Like, mm. uh, but no, I, I just realized this is my sense of humor. You know, I, mm. I and I can't change that. That's just yeah. like what I find funny. So, yeah. yeah. And there might be times in your life where it changes, mm. you know, and like, and that's fine too. But you, for, for me, like, I think it's that, that's, I'm starting to appreciate that stuff again. Right. Like, it's kind of, it's come back around. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, what's funny is something that it's a natural thing that makes you laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel like, um, I, I understand that this is what I grew up laughing at and, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just going to be part of me till I'm like an older person. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's something I think about. I remember we kind of touched on it. Maybe when we were talking about licorice pizza, sure. like I grew up, where racial humor was like very much a part of the family culture, you know, mm-hmm. just like, you know, like not thinking that that was problematic or anything. And it was just kind of a fun thing that you just do as a family or with your friends or what, whatever it is. And so it's kind of, it gets kind of baked in. And so now, you know, you know, just kind of being a more aware of, you know, not of, of, uh, insensitivities and, you know, wanting to be, you know, a little more progressive and not just, you know, uh, or, or just be more mindful about that kind of humor, you know, it, right. you know, it, it kind of, uh, can influence or inform how you feel about, you know, the movies that you take in, 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 in particular with licorice pizza, the Asian, um, <clears throat> the Asian right. waitress scenes or the restaurant scenes. Yeah. But it's also, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's, it, once it gets baked in, you know, it's like, it is just, a, you know, it's, it's good to still acknowledge, Hey, I still think this is funny. And then it's kind of up to you, whether you kind of like, you know, I guess how you wrestle with it. Right. Um, and, and so with something like Beavis and Butthead, it's, it, you know, it's not really insensitive. It's just juvenile. Right. So, you know, it's like, it's not hurting anybody, you know? <laughs> right. All right. So Beavis and Butthead do the universe, you know, if you just want like a, a mild entertaining <sighs> diversion. <laughs> It's an, an escape. Yeah, it's an escape, and this is Watch this it. has been an intense week. Uh, right. You know, like, oh for sure. If you're if, if you're looking at the news or anything like that, so if you just need like a diversion, here you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I actually do genuinely appreciate the animation style. Like I really liked mm-hmm. it, and um, it actually reminded me of uh, a movie that we were supposed to discuss, but I guess we both never got around to watching it. Um. It kind of got buried by Netflix. Mm-hmm. It came out like maybe a couple months ago. It it's Richard Linklater's new movie, um, oh. uh, Apollo Ten and a Half, uh, about right. the kid who we goes to space. We never watched that. Yeah, and I mean, it even has like connections to Beavis and Butthead do the universe, right? Because you know, it's also about a kid who goes to space. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I guess this movie's a, a little more like sweeter and you know kind of a Linklater like laid back style. But the mm-hmm. animation there, there's like definitely I think some resemblance to to the two. Even though like Linklater's approach is more um, rotoscoped, which is like they film it like live action and then they animate over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it allows him to do a little more like experimental stuff with it too. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, it's almost that kind of level. So yeah, definitely check it out. Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Tight. All right, Carla. All so, right. uh, what else you got here in the quick hits? Um, well, I just wanted to ask you, Steve, right now, since we're, we're deep into the summer, what's like a summer song to you? 
Like, what's like something that you feel like represents summer? I mean, the first thing I thought of was Will Smith's summertime. <laughs> nice. There you go. Cruising down in a top-down convertible. Yeah. <laughs> summertime. But, uh, yeah, and then I remember, they're, they're like, um, I think it was, was it Cisco Adler or, or Shwayze? Like, it was a really cheesy pop song about Coronas and Lime. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I think I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, but but yeah, it's you know, something like that, something like really cheesy white guy like dub reggae is also <laughs> super summery. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I I always think about um, uh, Cheryl Crow's uh, "All I Want to Do." Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a quintessential that's summer song to me <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, and I guess now that we're we're halfway through the year, would you say, Steve, there's like a clear cut favorite of the year so far for you? Hmm. So yeah, I I have to go back through my list. I mean, though, like I really, I mean, it's gonna sound cheesy. I did really enjoy Beavis and Butthead. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think what else did did we see? I mean, we I started would... off with Scream. Oh, Scream was. Yeah. I, I kind of like Beavis and Butthead more than Scream. Gotcha. Scream, I did like though. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like you know. We kind of tore that one apart. Just, it's just, um, <laughs> it, it is what it is. You know, All right. it, when you're a slasher sequel, it's just, it's hard to like, it's, it's hard to uh, for for it to really stand out. Yeah, and I, I feel like halfway through now, um, it mm. actually isn't that bad, you know, <laughs> compared to what mm. I've I've seen so far this year. Like, I I don't think it, uh, and mm-hmm. I've had this before in years past where it's basically like the first six months. I barely see anything good, like maybe one or two if I'm lucky. And like, you know, everything is bottom heavy. Like most of the films that I end up liking get released like in October or, right. you know, towards the end of the year. And it seems like we're we're heading towards that this year. Although, you know, who knows with Nope, you know, which uh, we're going to do an episode on when it comes out um, yeah. later. I have high July. hopes. Yeah. So that's that's the big like tentpole movie of the summer. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, it's, it's been kind of a mid year. Yeah. <laughs> so far. it's funny. Yeah. Like I, I kind of like Beavis and Butthead even more than, yeah, more than Kimmy, more than mm-hmm. Scream. Sure. And uh lit licorice piece. I think even though I saw it this year, it's, yeah, it's, it's technically a last year yeah, film. So, 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 so oddly enough, Beavis and Butthead do the universe is, 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 <laughs> okay. is leading That's your the leading pack. Candidate. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and for me, it's um, Triple R, uh, the Indian right. movie that came out mm-hmm. earlier this year. I mean, you know, cool. it's just such a fun and exciting movie, even though I guess my hype for it has diminished a little bit mm-hmm. because, I don't know, this is just, I guess, a reflection of who I am being curmudgeonly that now that more people are discovering it, I'm kind of like, <laughs> you know, I'm on the downside of it. Of right, like, you're, oh, like, man. you're like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. I, I gotcha. <laughs> It's like it's gotten played out. And yeah, I mean that's that's just a common experience in life. You yeah. know, if you're an early adopter, mm. it feels so good when your things are growing. But it's as soon as you get towards the top or if it, or if it gets popular, that's just that's just such a human experience. You know, right. it's awesome. And I can't wait to get into this with um, a future guest of ours, Bill Scurry, who's already agreed mm. on principle to be on this show. So we're mm. gonna have her have him as a guest in um, yeah, the Bill. near future. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with his podcast. It's called um, "I Don't Get It." 
And it's about him and his friend who's also like a guy who's in their mid 40s and they're both like curmudgeons and you know it's whatever's like trending right now so it's like mm-hmm. i don't get it would be like olivia rodrigo or something like that <laughs> like that would be the subject matter or like um uh bo burnham or something <laughs> you right. know and, and just through their their 40 year old lens and you know i'm just curious oh. because it's I guess so funny. I would love to hear forty-year-olds talk about Bo Burnham. Oh awesome. yeah, listen to that episode. That's a very good episode. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> I enjoy that podcast a lot, and you know, I know Bill in person, so just knowing him and yeah. you know the discussions we have, I think it's going to be a very good episode when we have him on. Good. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So uh, I guess we should get into a section of oh, yeah. quick cuts. Is this, is this a, a yeah? Is this a new segment? Uh, we'll get there, but first okay. we gotta handle our uh, housekeeping. So I wanted to do corrections. Okay. Corrections and retractions. There we go. Okay, so <laughs> I got two. Do you have any, Steve, from last? I week? don't this week, but yeah, okay. let's uh, yeah, yeah, rattle them off. Yeah, I mean, I love, uh, I love, you know, how much I love the your jingle. So it's like I. <laughs> It's like I hope we 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 make mistakes every episode. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, it's it's a given. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're. I mean, I I don't know how detailed your notes are, but I just have like prompts. So yeah. sometimes, yeah, I, I'll I'll get the details mixed up. Um. So uh, these two aren't really like major corrections. It's more like kind of. Oh, I I guess I forgot. So yeah. uh, the first is like basically um, our our uh, Twitter account, the uh, movie food pod. And I won't say who tweeted it or it's probably obvious who it was or you can tell uh-huh. who's tweeting it. But uh, oh, yeah. we tweeted about uh, crimes of the future and that we were going to discuss it on the next episode and we didn't. Uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> so um, the reason for that was because um, Brandon, who was supposed to be our guest, actually um uh had seen it too and you obviously hadn't seen it so it would have been weird Mm -hmm. for me to just talk about it i i was looking forward to like actually having that discussion with brandon Mm -hmm. and the other reason being that uh when i saw the movie i was really high so (laughs) (laughs) i I, yeah and i i had a great time you know i mean that that's my that's my discussion for is like i really enjoyed it while i was high Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is a movie. I feel that, you know, if you've ever had surgery, which I've had, it, you know, it, it hits different if you, mm. you, you've had surgery and you've been hospitalized. Um, so, oh God. um, yeah, cause it, it is all about surgery and like how that's become like performance art. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if this movie's going to be in my top 10 at the end of the year. Um, mm. But it's definitely something I won't forget and I still think about, you know. And I, I was planning to watch it again, but uh, it was, like, on its, uh, like, last run. So they were only doing one screening a day at my local theater. And it was only, like, at 9.40 in the evening. And I, I was booking the screenings because I have, like, AMC A-list. So you can basically, like, just reserve uh, a screening uh, and the seat and then you can always cancel it, you know. So it's never, like... Um, you're beholden to to show up or you get charged for it. You know, you just pay like a flat rate, excuse me, every month. So, um, 
so I, I kept on just canceling it because I was just always like, man, do I really want to? I mean, you know, the, the the movie theater near me is like a mile away. So it's, it's a super close drive. But um, uh, it's just uh, I, I was just never in the mood. And then one time that I was in the mood, like I canceled it because uh, somebody had booked like seats right next to mine in a mostly empty theater. Which I'm, mm. just, you know, I've, I've mentioned this oh, right. before. And I think you mentioned that one. Yeah, yeah. I, it's like, why? Like, it's an empty theater. Why are you booking seats next to another seat? You know, it's like, at least give me one or two seats of space, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because it was that's like... like a monkeypox move. Like, that's yeah, really aggressive. Exactly. I didn't get it. And then it's like, I think the last straw for me was when, uh, I guess, the one more screening, it was like uh, uh, the entire row in front of me was booked. And, you know, at like the theater that I live near, I'm not going to mention it by name, but most people can probably yeah. figure it out if they know where I am, um, is uh, that uh, it, it it kind of is uh, like a common person's theater. It's, it's in a mall. So, like, mm-hmm. some people just go to the movies, you know, because they need, like, you know, to cool down, you know, because it's an outdoor mall. So it's it's pretty hot out. So sometimes they just go in to watch a movie and, you know, they're not really invested in it or they, you know. So being the type of movie that Crimes of the Future is, it is easy to, like, make fun of it. And for some reason, you know, I guess it's such an irrational kind of <laughs> thing for me <laughs> that I was just like, man, if this entire row, you know, it was just like a huge row of people. Like, I was just like, man, they're going to be commenting on this movie all throughout like it's just gonna ruin my enjoyment of it you know so i just was like yeah forget it i'll just like catch it again on streaming and see how i feel you know totally probably a little more sober uh um, yeah but yeah so that's crimes of the future uh <laughs> so yeah the the second uh correction actually was just a, a detail that i couldn't remember at that time going back to the commando episode so Shout yes. out to Jacob Rivera for pointing this out. Um, Jacob? Yeah, because uh, Jacob, actually, Commando is one of his all-time favorite movies. So it was like he was so excited to listen to that oh, episode. Cool. Yeah, and uh, he was paying so much attention that he even got at, uh, to the part where I mentioned that I had seen another movie where, you know, another character, like, goes into a military supply store and mm. I was mixing it up with Reacher because that kind of happens in the show, but not the same way as Commando. And then he he pointed it out to me that the movie that I was thinking of was a movie that I had rewatched for our um, Los Angeles Plays Itself episode, which was Falling Down. So thanks, oh. Jacob, for reminding me that, That's you know. That's a good correction right there. Yep. There you go. Okay, good. All right. Well, well great. So, yeah, that wraps um, up the corrections. Yeah, here, let's just play it one more time to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Corrections and retractions. Beautiful. All right, so um, now we're going to be introducing a new segment of Quick Cuts. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. All right, so you prepared something for this, Steve, so are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What's it, uh, are you going to say th- the name first so I know which one to press? Um, okay. So this is going to be Carlos Cannon. Carlos Cannon. Amazing. <laughs> I love the <laughs> cannonball at the end. <laughs> yeah. That's a good – I was really surprised at, uh, to find a solid cannon sound that had a little bass in it. Oh, fantastic. 
Oh, that's superb. All right. So this is going to be a new segment. It's uh, it's not going to be every episode because obviously I'm very selective about what I want to add to the can. But every now and then, you know, Steve, I watch a movie and it's like, man, this belongs in my canon. It's like a movie that I'm going to be watching over mm. and over again. I know I'm going to revisit it. And, you know, it can just take one viewing. And I already know, okay, this is this is a classic in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for this episode, uh, it's actually related to your favorite movie too, and we'll tie it in later on uh, the movie that Ooh. we're gonna be discussing. Um, so yes. the the movie I'm adding is uh, "Say Anything." Oh yes, yeah, rom com classic, or would you say just a straight comedy? Uh, I mean, I I would say it's even more just romantic. It's just romance. romantic, yeah, yeah and uh, romance. yeah. I mean, it definitely has elements of a teen movie. It's like the end of the eighties, but uh, the thing that really like makes it stand out to me is just how well written and performed it is. Like, it's just, um, I mean, we'll we'll get into it with your movie <laughs> and some yeah. of my my concerns about a lot of teen movies in the eighties. But yeah, it is just so different from from all yeah. these movies. And I mean, I'm I'm just generally a fan of of John Cusack, and especially when he's with his sister um, Joan, mm-hmm. um, and even uh, their other sister, who's lesser known, Anne Cusack, is great too. Um, yeah, sometimes they're they're all together, all three of them. But I don't think they are in this movie. But yeah, this film, um, you know, I, it's it's one of those films that I'd seen like clips from. Obviously, we all know the boombox scene that's been like spoofed yep. and referenced so many times in movies. But it was just like I never really like sat down and watched it. And I found like a a Blu-ray for like five bucks, and I was like, okay, maybe this is a sign. I I need to watch this. And I've also kind of just been um, lukewarm towards uh, Cameron Crowe. Although um, I'm hearing yeah. a lot of people are, I mean, even our previous guest Rob is a big fan of Almost Famous, which is another blind spot of mine. So, uh, I, oh. I, yeah, I need to okay. to fill that gap. But uh, this was the the thing. I was like, this is Cameron Crowe's uh, debut feature. Um, he had previously um, written an article that was uh, turned into a movie called um, Fast Times at Richmond High. So it was like that was the beginning of the 80s and then now this is the end of the 80s. So it's like what a bookend for his career, you know, to to become a director and obviously a, a very talented writer because, I mean, everything in this movie in terms of of the writing is just so well thought out. You know, the characters feel like 3D. Yeah, it's weird mm-hmm. to say that, but like they, they're yeah. really fleshed out. And I mean, obviously the, the performances help a lot and... um I even heard that like uh Ion Sky and uh and John Cusack just had so much chemistry um in real life but they they I guess they were like in in separate relationships so they never got together you know mm. uh but she said like there's a scene uh, you you've seen it right a long time ago okay. like like it actually would be a good one for me to rewatch Oh yeah for sure yeah I mean yeah. especially after watching your your favorite movie which we'll reveal shortly uh yeah. one of your favorites uh but uh, there's a scene uh which you can probably relate to since you had a manual transmission where uh oh, yeah. yeah John Cusack is teaching her to drive a manual uh car cuz her first like graduation gift car is a manual uh transmission Sure um and uh yeah uh ion sky said in an interview that you know like the it 
like things were just like getting hot and heavy in that scene that oh. you know had they not been in in other relationships with other people they might have like gone home together <laughs> yeah so yeah so it's palpable and you know it's just like i guess the to a fault there there's a lot of cliches of with 80s teen movies and mm -hmm. you know uh the premise of this of this movie could be a cliche you know it's the it's the guy who's not quite a jock, but he's also not quite a nerd um, who falls in love with the smart girl who just focused on her studies all through high school, you know, and never really um, dated or anything like that. So and yeah. kind of discovering her her inner beauty in a way, you know, because, yeah, it was funny because when I was even buying the Blu-ray, the cashier who was checking me out, like, was raving about the movie <laughs> But he couldn't describe it. He was just like, yeah, it's just like John Cusack falls in love with her. And that's the movie. Yeah, <laughs> So yeah. he described it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that that's it. Because, you know, um, the plot is, is not that um, important. It's really mm -hmm. about, like, the little moments, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, one of the most quoted lines in the movie is, you know, um, I gave her my heart and she gave me a pen. I'm, I don't know if I'm quoting it correctly. Maybe there's going to mm -hmm. be a, a correction in the next episode. Okay, good. But uh, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever the correct quote was, but it, it was something like that. And it's just, yeah, it's an amazing movie. It's set in Seattle, but um, they actually also filmed a lot of it in L.A. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, but it, it, they, they get away with it because, like, a lot of the Seattle landmarks they actually filmed and then it's just like more the suburbs stuff. So I guess like Seattle suburbs don't look that oh. different from LA suburbs. Yeah. So it, it, it looks like it has a cool cast. It looks like they got Pamela Adlon. Yes, unrecognizable and, too. Yeah, she was so baby faced. John Mahoney. Yeah, and he's great. And you know the Jeremy whole... Piven's in this. <laughs> oh yeah, he's hilarious in this movie too. I mean, yeah, that's funny. Everybody's great in it. Cool. You know, so it's cool. it's yeah, it's it's now part of Carlos canon. Yeah. You know what's funny? I just Googled Carlos Cannon, and I, I, I emailed you a link. There's um, a professional wrestler in Australia named Carlo okay. Cannon. <laughs> That's hilarious, but with two ends. Two ends, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, oh, that's funny. I think he, he might actually even be Filipino. He, <laughs> he does look like, yeah. yeah. Carlo Cash yeah, Money yeah. Cannon. Cannon. He's five <laughs> yeah. nine, which is like yeah, we're almost yeah. the same height. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he he's heavier than me though, one hundred ninety five. Yeah, yeah, he's got me too. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's all muscle. Carlo Cannon. All right, good to know. So Carlos Cannon, mine only has one. End. Well, two ends, but not like in the yeah, cannon way. Not it's consecutive. Like cannon, yeah. Pan yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So Pantheon. That kind of thing. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to adding more to this uh, as we progress with the pod. You mm. know, like these are movies that I discovered. I mean, you know, it, I I think it's important. It's even um yeah, and it it's not. It, I think it's fair game to even like it. It might be an episode where we're covering a movie that I'd never seen before, and then I'll add it. You know, to the wow. canon if it if it warrants it. That'd so. be amazing. Yeah, a new if a new movie can jump into the canon, that's like top level. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think that I have impossible standards, but it, it, it really is the vibe. You know, it has to feel right, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I don't think also people seeing say anything would say, oh, immediately, that's a Carlo movie. 
but you know again I, it's just that those little details really of the film is is what gets to me you know so yeah really beautiful great love it all right um so was there another section we were going to add i i can't remember well <laughs> well we we we, we have our it's a, it's a segment that you've already kind of established we've been kind okay. of continuing it a couple of weeks and we now have a little music bed that so i'm gonna play this and then you can kind of like talk over it i'll kind of pot it down okay okay but this All is right. gonna be carlos scott tick scott tick okay <laughs> well the funny thing is i actually don't have one this week <laughs> oh okay good oh man all right yeah yeah we'll, I, yeah we'll, we'll just uh, just make up something okay all right. Um, what's a what's a good Scott take right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess we can get into to hockey. Okay. Let's uh, let's get into it. So, uh, you know, I I definitely have a lot of hot takes with oh, hockey. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. Here we go. Um. All right. So you know, obviously, I think um, hockey is the best sport. <laughs> it's number one in my heart. Um. Like to me, it's it's everything. It it has like, you know, speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, skill, athleticism, violence. Oh yeah, you know what, what? What more can you ask for? And and that's the thing. It's like Steve, I I I didn't know that you were that into hockey. Like I think we we had talked about it in passing, mm-hmm. but I only am now finding out that yeah, you're really into it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you, okay. So so the Scott take could be hot. Carlo likes hockey more than basketball or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, perfect. for sure. And considering that uh, we're we're gonna be doing like consecutive. Um, uh, episodes where our next episode is going to be more basketball oh, theme. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I have a a lot more rants about basketball. Okay, perfect. And you know, I mean, um, I will say like congratulations to the Warriors mm-hmm. for winning uh the yeah. the championship yet again. Yeah. Man, like what is it? The fourth in in eight years. Fourth, fourth or and eight. Like that? And the thing I'm curious Crazy. about with the Warriors is, you know, obviously they to me they 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 come off like a very likable team. But I do sure. wonder in other markets if they are as annoying as like, you know, some of the other <laughs> dynasty teams yeah. that you think of, you know, right. like the Lakers or the Heat or the yeah. Cat, you know, like any any LeBron team, um, mm-hmm. you know that you know that that draw draw a lot of ire from the opposing fans. Like I do wonder sure. if the Warriors have that also, or if they're just so likable because Steph is so likable, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into it in the next yeah. episode because we'll also have a guest, and I, I'm curious to hear her take yeah. on it. But yeah, just going back to hockey, and I mean, this we is the other thing hockey, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, so hockey fans, a lot of them actually hate basketball. Like, there's very <laughs> few people who who are both, you know, because uh, the thing about it is that you know they hate that the NBA overshadows the NHL. And I mean, this season, I'm so grateful that the uh, that NHL went back to ESPN mm-hmm. um, because they were gone and they were in the wilderness for like uh, almost 15 years. Um, you know, basically after the lockout in uh, 2005, like they were just on like really obscure networks. Like it was like a, a hunting and fishing channel. Mm-hmm. It was like called OLN. They were on that yeah. network for a while. And then NBC Sports. And, you know, just hearing that ESPN, like, hockey theme again, yeah. like, you know, it was just goosebumps, man. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Like, you know, um, the only thing I would say, though, is that uh, obviously there's some great, like, 
standby like hockey minds that they have like you know giving analysis like uh john uh, uh boogie cross i'm not I, sure I if i'm pronouncing john his last name right. butcher grass butcher grass yeah, yeah okay him like you know there's great people like that and obviously on the commentating side you got um they were also with nbc sports and uh whatever the nhl mm-hmm. was on before um eddie olchick and um uh keith jones like yeah. i love those guys but you know there, there's other panelists that i'm like it's kind of lacking yeah. but you know that that is the plight of the hockey fan yeah that you know it's like uh ESPN, even though it is on ESPN, they're not. They have like their own show. I think it's called The Point or mm-hmm. The Crease or something like that. But it's just not as good as like what you will see on like Sportsnet or yeah. um, or uh, TSN. Like the the analysis that they do on the games is just amazing, yeah. and the people that they get yeah. are great. I mean, I, I just remember in the heyday when I watched in the late in the mid to late nineties into the two thousands. I remember it was. Gary Thorne and Bill Clement were like the ESPN broad. Fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. they would broadcast Amazing. all the games. You they would throw it to Barry Melrose in the studio. And then I think also Steve Levy was like a big part of, mm-hmm. of the broadcast. Yeah, yeah. He's he's still there. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's still part of the broadcast. So he's great. And uh I mean I'm I'm gonna miss um as much as I I I I disagree with him a lot. Um, John Tortorella, mm-hmm. like yeah. he was part of the the crew too, but now he's been hired as the coach yeah. of the Philadelphia Flyers. And I mean, what I'm looking forward to now is the classic like Tortorella torts, um, like uh, um, uh, like the 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 going back and forth and the face offs with the with the reporters. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's what torts is known <laughs> for. You know, you just like look up. When when NHL interviews go wrong, yeah. like there's always going to be a torts clip in there, yeah. you know. Uh, it's just amazing. He's just great. Uh, I mean, you know, th- that's really one of the things that I love about hockey too is the the characters, yeah. you know, that you have. Like, there's just definitely a lot more weirder people in hockey than I think any other sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where, <laughs> yeah. where like you you can be weird and be a real star and be a real like, right. key part of a team, and it doesn't make sense. Like. For me, what's what fascinates me with hockey is I don't understand what makes a good team. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like so I'm generally an LA Kings fan, and I think you're a Ducks fan. Is that right? Yeah. And so that's it's right. like, it, it's so bizarre. Like, what makes the team good? Because it's like one year with all the same players, they can put it all, you know, and 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 really make a run. And then the next year, there's just something off in the lines or the momentum yeah. and for some reason it, it just falls apart and it's so bizarre it really takes the whole team and i don't understand why you know <laughs> yeah i mean the kings are a great example of that because it was just like i mean that that first stanley cup run in 2012 they made it all the way to the finals and won the cup as an 8 seed mm-hmm. you know they were just like world beaters and you know like that's rare and i mean this is why i love hockey more than any other sport because of the parody that you know an eight seed can go on Mm -hmm. to win the championship like that's rare like in basketball for example and we'll get into that in the next episode um but uh but yeah it's also like um you know the the whole idea of the seven game series Mm -hmm. like how in other sports it's rare that they come back from being down three Mm -hmm. and oh it's been done four times in hockey yeah like you know that's just how amazing it is because you know once you get to overtime and the idea of sudden death yeah. 
is just like that evens the playing field. Yeah. You know, it's just and I feel like that's the Kings, it. the win. Kings were one of those teams that came back down three zero in one yes. in, in one um, in one of those runs. Yeah, yeah, that was a 2014 run. I mean, uh, like Bizarre. if you talk to most Kings fans, like they appreciate the 2014 run more than the 2012 run because of just basically who they beat coming back from 3-0. Yeah. Um and then also um uh, a lot of those games uh, a lot of those series went to seven games and they had to win like the seventh game in overtime. Yeah, and and it was um, and it was always like on the road, I remember. And it, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so... yeah, because they that was the thing about the Kings. It was like they they just basically cruised through the the regular season. That's why they were always a lower seed. Yeah. Um, and then you know they they turn it on. That was the thing that like, they could flip the switch. Yeah. You like know, but eventually switch. the the yeah. switch yeah. yeah stopped working. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like now it's like everyone's like, well, they still have Drew Doughty and they still have all these guys. Yeah. How come it's but not yeah, good they're anymore? All dinosaurs. Like, I don't know. They're all old. Yeah, and I mean that style of hockey that they played is also like. It's not that that's the thing. Like I love also how hockey evolves. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it is kind of a copycat league, you know, when when the Ducks won the championship in 2007, they did it through the word that became part of everybody's vocabulary, truculence. Mm. You know, they were a big mean team, you know, they hit you and like you know, they obviously had skill in Scott Niedermeyer yeah. and um, Ryan Getzlaff and Timu Solani and even and Andy McDonald who gets forgotten in mm-hmm. in that championship run, but yeah, just uh, they they were just this balanced team, but it was just really the meanness of the team, you know, with like guys like Brad May and and George Paros like beating you, like yeah, that's now gone. Like yeah. you know, I mean, if we want to talk about hockey and movies, like you know, um, the two really great recent hockey movies were the Goon movies with um. Uh, Sean William Scott. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I have not seen Goon. No. Oh, dude, you have to see okay, them. They're good. so good. And that's hope. what it's about. It's about like this dying breed of the enforcer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and in a way, like the Kings run was also like that. Like, you yeah. know, they were also like a big team. Like, Andre Kopitar is like the 6'4, you know, center who like is also very speedy and mm-hmm. skilled and he's, he's defensively reliable. You know, he's one defensive player of the year mm-hmm. um, and he's good at face off. So it's like, you know, that that's how they, they beat you. And I mean, obviously like Drew Doughty was like kind of a generational talent, you know, he yeah. was at one point, I think the best defenseman in hockey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but yeah, eventually, you know, the, the league evolves and the problem with the Kings was they didn't, you know, and like also because they had, you know, one of the most stubborn like coaches in, in the league. Who I'm, I'm still glad is still coaching now. He's the coach of the Flames, uh, Daryl Sutter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about characters like Daryl Sutter. Like he's the type of guy who'll do a press conference where he just answers everything like with one syllable, like not yeah. even one word. His face, his <laughs> yeah, face so... is so memorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One description I've heard of the uh, of Daryl Sutter that I love is like that he looks like a bird that was like debeaked. Yeah, <laughs> That's... yeah. Like, and yeah, it's funny, like a classic Daryl Sutter quote recently was like, you know, um, that he said during the playoffs was like, um, facing Colorado in the first round of of the playoffs was a waste of eight days. That's what he said. (laughs) It's just like brilliant, you know? Um, And yeah, by the way, yeah, congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche. You know, it's Mm -hmm. so recent. Like, I guess it happened this past Sunday. 
Uh, they won the Stanley Cup after 20 years. Yeah, um, oh, oh yeah. one. I I remember really enjoying watching that oh one run with uh, the end of the Joe Sackick kind of team, but then with Ray Bork. Yeah, that was a really and, cool yeah, I mean, run. Yeah, and obviously Patrick Waugh, yep. one of the greatest goalies of all time. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, the the Raymond Bork thing is just you know they they still play that clip, and you know it's hard not to get affected by it because you know. That is the other beautiful thing about hockey that I don't think gets featured enough in other sports. It's like those those all-time great players because it's just yeah, they they talk about the Stanley Cup being one of the hardest championships to win. So a lot of great players like they they're loyal to their team, you know, they stay with, like in the case of Bork, you know, he was with the Bruins all his career and for them it was like we got to like you know, give him a chance to win. So they traded him to a contender, which was the avalanche. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I, I, I remember, I think the, like the call on the, the commentating was like after 20 years, Raymond Bork. And then, you know, he raises the cup and then he's like crying. And, you know, I got my own version of that when the ducks won and Timu Salani, Mm -hmm. you know, got the cup finally, you know, and it was just like, man, that, you know, you can't help, but, not get affected by it Mm -hmm. and um maybe there wasn't that kind of version this year with with the avalanche winning but you know only two players on the avalanche had won the cup before right so i I guess um you could say like eric johnson Mm -hmm. um you know he'd been in the league a long time and jack johnson too who was a formerly a king yeah yeah. Uh, (laughs) yeah and i mean the irony with with jack johnson is like they probably would have never won those cups had they not traded him yeah for uh uh Jeff, Jeff Carter. Carter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was like a big trade. Um but yeah, man, the Colorado Avalanche congrats. I mean, I I would have, you know, we talk about like how much there's parity in mm-hmm. in the NHL like it it's rare to have like a, you know, a three-peat. Like back-to-backs it's happened a couple of times, you know, obviously um before the Tampa Bay Lightning won their back-to-back, yeah. the Penguins did it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think before that, I think it was uh, the Red Wings have done it. So, uh, but three in a row would have been amazing. And just, um, man, I feel for for Corey Perry, who was, you know, <laughs> formerly a duck. Yeah. Man, three years in a row being in the finals and losing. <laughs> That's three straight for him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's and, brutal. like, you know, he finally ge- joined the team that beat him. Yeah. And he still lose. lost with them. Yeah, he's like the. Oh. Uh, I mean, I saw this article and I felt so bad when I saw that article on on Yahoo Sports that said like he's a bad luck charm. I was like, come on, yeah, man, I you mean, know. And he's he's won like he's won one. So yeah, yeah, he won with the Ducks, yeah, and then you know so. he's been MVP. He's had a great career, and I mean, I I still uh, that that leaves a bitter taste in my mouth that the Ducks gave up on him because, you know, obviously, you know, he's gotten older, but, you know, he contributed a lot to the playoffs this this yeah. year, yeah. you know, and the fact that, you know, him and his, like, um his his line mate, uh, Ryan Getzlaff, who just retired at the end of this season, you know, oh, wow. he's, he's the last remaining, yeah. um, you know, when the Ducks were still the Mighty Ducks, you know, like he's the only one left and uh, playing in the league right now. Dang. So yeah, man, tough luck, Corey Perry. Yeah. But at least you know you you've gotten to raise the cup and you've won MVP. So you've you've had a career. He's 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 gonna be in in the Hall of Fame. I, yeah, I think he'll be so, all right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. But yeah, it's so sad, man, that uh, we're we're not gonna have hockey for a couple of months again. But I mean, you know, this is the time to to catch up to to movies. Exactly, <laughs> it's movie season. Yeah, 
I, I, yeah. I will say just one last hockey point. I really like the Avalanche's new u- uniforms. I don't know how long they've kind of had that pattern with the um, with the C and the hockey puck on the shoulders and the mm-hmm. helmet's color changes from white to blue, whether they're on the road. Yeah, or and they, they, they yeah. changed the pants to blue too. Yeah. Like um, before I, it used to be maroon right. pants, you know, which uh, matched yeah. with the with the jersey yeah um or sweater mm-hmm. uh, the sweater how, yeah this is the other thing not a jersey yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this is the thing i like about um also it being quintessentially canadian is that you know the, these weird like uh terms where you know it's still english but it's like they have a different way of of talking about mm-hmm. uh, certain things you know like a jersey is is, is a sweater mm-hmm. you know and um, also, yeah, just to quick to point out, yeah, I use a lot of my my hockey jerseys as, as sweaters. <laughs> you know, that's good. Uh, yeah, they're they're great. Uh, uh, especially like um, uh, relating now to, I guess this is a good segue into um, the move. One of the movies. Yeah, we're gonna let's be get talking there. About. Yeah. All right. So um, uh, the there's this company called Mitchell and Ness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with them. They tend to do like kind of old timey designs, you know. So they'll they'll do like throwback jerseys and stuff like that. So uh, a few years ago, and I'm I'm sad like they didn't continue it. They did like old timey hockey jerseys with like the modern teams, NHL teams, you know. Mm-hmm. So you would get this design, which is basically like a lot of old timey. Um, hockey jerseys are are stripes you know mm-hmm. so there'll be blocks of stripes so that's what they would do they would use the team colors and then they'd put the crest up front oh this is the other thing i love about hockey too the you know which like compared to to basketball or even baseball you know you see like logos on the team uniforms you know like huge like up front yeah you know it's not just like the team name exactly you know um so yeah i love those and that's why i love collecting different hockey jerseys even if i'm not a fan of the team yeah Um, especially like the old teams like like quebec had a really cool logo yeah the nordiques yeah hartford yeah oh yeah the whale oh my god yeah (laughs) that whale tail is incredible yeah Yeah, so Um, good yeah so yeah so i was collecting those Uh, i mean i have the the mighty ducks one obviously uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I wish I'd collected more because yeah, another timeless logo, the the Red Wings. Even though I'm not a fan right. of the Red Wings, I love their logo, yeah. the winged wheel. It looks good. You know, I definitely want the Kraken to step up their logo game. Can't say sure. I'm a yeah, fan. I was. I'm, I'm a fan of that S yet. Yeah, I was disappointed too. Uh, very. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where's the the tentacles? Where's the like? You know, I want to see like a creature. It could be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, why is it just an S? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not that big of a fan of the Vegas logo either, either. You know, speaking no. of expansion teams, yeah. you know, it's just, eh, you know, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I mean, even the Ducks have been disappointing actually since their rebrand when they just became the Ducks instead of the Mighty Ducks. Like, that's why they've been bringing back. Like, there's an alternate jersey which is the orange jersey which has the Mighty Ducks logo yeah. on it. Yeah. Because I mean, that's just so classic. You know, it's iconic. Well, yeah, uh, and then just. The colors of the of the ninety three Mighty Ducks was so cool. I thought I remember like yeah. everybody wanted that hat. Right. Yeah. It's the teal, the purple. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. And yeah, I have a couple of of jerseys. I even have like their what's considered to be their worst jersey. The you know the um uh the one where it's uh oh my god why am I blanking on 
on the duck's uh, um, mascot. <laughs> oh, the mascot. Name? Wild Wing. Yeah, Wild, wild Wing. Okay. So uh, Wild Wing, like, emerging from the ice. Like, I have that jersey, which is considered to be, like, <laughs> one of the worst jerseys of all time. And they brought it back this season because it was, like, uh, an alternate, like, kind of... Um, they did this thing called... Uh, what is it? Reverse retro. Mm-hmm. So that was the reverse retro jersey. Was the, um, yeah. So I got one. That's so funny. Yeah, his yeah. chest is so big in that thing. Right, and it's like cartoony. So you know, and it like you know, obviously being a Ducks fan, I I know you know how much like the team was considered to be the, and maybe it still is like the joke of of the NHL. Like uh, that is the the plight, and I I feel like the pain of like Phoenix Coyotes fans. Because, uh, or I guess they're Arizona Coyotes now. They're, yeah, because we're never in Phoenix anyway. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's just this thing of like uh, teams in the warmer climates just don't take, get taken seriously. Yeah. You know, and especially, you know, because of the legacy of, of the Mighty Ducks and the movies and that it was owned by Disney at one point, you know. Um, yeah, people just are like, oh, this isn't a serious team. But, you know, when once they won the cup, it was like, well, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, the, the thing about like these these teams that are in non traditional hockey markets too, like the the players really end up loving being there because one, you don't have the the scrutiny of yeah. the press that you would like playing for a Canadian team like mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs or or the the Canadiens, yeah, you know, and then two, like you get to live like in warm weather climate, like you know, most of the LA Kings players live in Manhattan Beach, yeah. You know they love it there, or like in the in in for the ducks, a lot of them live in Newport. Exactly. You know, and you get to yeah, live so... in anonymity, but you still exactly. have a good yeah. salary and do all the things you want to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so yeah, like I I think that that's something that that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people, I guess, treated warm weather or non traditional. Uh, hockey markets like the way people look at the MLS now mm-hmm. of like uh, oh when you know a team signs with an MLS team it's like oh they're uh, or a player signs with an MLS team it's like they're um, they're they're retiring you right. know like recently Gareth Bale I think signed with uh, the the LA football club mm-hmm. so I think that's like oh Gareth Bale's like yeah. giving up on his career now because he's playing for an MLS that's so team. funny yeah, yeah. So, hockey, man. All right. Well, so yeah, I'm excited to talk about this first movie. Um, you why don't you set it up? Because I think this is. It, it, would you consider this one of your favorites, or would you consider this just like a great hockey movie? Ah, uh, I would say both. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think this was the kind of unspoken commonality that we had with both of our picks. So, uh, we've been kind of skirting around it, but you know, for our tenth episode, we wanted to do favorites mm-hmm. um but i didn't just want to do like a random favorite like i mean i thought hockey was timely just because you know stanley cup finals were wrapping up and then also um i think it was the case with you too with your movie was you wanted to rewatch it again to see if it still held up exactly yeah so the, yeah. the one uh, yeah the one i picked is a favorite and it does kind of fit in this june theme because it is it revolves around being like the last day of school but yeah, I, but I was curious whether uh, it, is it actually good? Yeah, and same here because I hadn't seen this movie and your movie I'd never seen. So Perfect. like, um, I hadn't seen um, like Cowards Bend the Knee 
like yeah i guess in more than a decade like it's been that long so mm -hmm. uh yeah so my pick was cowards bend the knee that's directed by guy madden mm -hmm. and uh it came out originally in 2003 and not in the form that we saw it actually the original form that it came out mm -hmm. in was like these individual like viewing stations okay where you would watch like each um chapter it's 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 10 chapters uh six minutes each so it, it's exactly like an hour um and you you watch the movie like basically play out in these different sections and i think it was um uh i think it was in a film festival maybe rotterdam i'm not positive mm -hmm. but then i just remembered like it was at a an art gallery called the power plant um and i never got to see it that way like um i didn't get to see it basically until like came out on dvd like a couple years after that um so uh the most basic thing about it is that uh it, it's it's guy madden's like autobiographical film mm. <laughs> but if, if you know guy madden he was not born during the time that this movie is set and um that that's the whole thing like his his he's built an entire career that's based on on films that are set during like either silent film era or like early sound era. Oh, you know? Okay. Yeah. And, um, even to contextualize it even more, um, like this was, I think kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? Not a second win, but it was definitely like a second chance or second life for him in terms of his filmmaking. Because uh, he was kind of an obscure filmmaker in, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, he, he only made like three movies uh, or four, four movies. And by the fourth one, he was like ready to give up. Mm. Like I, I remember watching the, the making of um, Twilight of the Ice Nymphs. And he was just like kind of, oh man, like this is just so hard. Because he's also the type of filmmaker that he he puts everything in, in it. Like and he, mm. he does his own cinematography he helps with the production design. He co-writes the films. You know, the only thing that he doesn't do is act mm -hmm. in his movies. But everything else behind it, he edits it himself too. Oh. So, yeah. Um, so he had made uh, like these four films. I mentioned Twilight of the Ice Nymphs. His first film was um, Tales from the Gimli Hospital. Uh, the second film was Archangel. And then the third one was um, uh, Careful. And it was actually through Careful that I first discovered him. And the whole thing with it was uh, I I actually just read about Guy Madden. I'd never seen a Guy Madden film because they were hard to find. Mm -hmm. You know, they I don't think they ever came out on VHS or they when they did, it was like much later. And uh, it's actually one of my first like exposures to Amazon. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I'll never forget this. Like, um, so I was talking about Guy Madden uh, to like my friends who were willing to listen yeah <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they're like who's that yeah um and the the first discovery i had of him was i read like this issue of empire magazine that had like this um uh this kind of special like uh section that was just um unearthed like five star gems you know like mm -hmm. movies that um should deserve like uh more recognition and careful was mentioned and i was just so fascinated by it because it was like the description of it was like it, it's like this this film about this community that um uh they're they're afraid of an avalanche you know mm -hmm. <laughs> relating to Colorado avalanche so they have to be quiet 
and that it's done in like the old like 1920s silent film style um uh and mountain films too the tradition of mountain films that were done in the 1920s and i was just like man what is this movie and then uh the whole thing with that empire article too was that it would basically do a, a little like uh summary of the movie and then um it would be like a scene that they they mentioned that's great and i i don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen <laughs> careful because it is one of these movies that everybody should see okay. especially if you get into guy madden um uh, but they talk about like basically um, this whole scene that um, uh, like doesn't belong in a silent film. Like it, it's it's an explicit scene, and um, it basically is is something that um, that relates to uh, the avalanche. Um, and then eventually, yeah. So I, I told my friends about this, and one of my friends he actually gave me a printed page from amazon like this is how <laughs> how far back it was like amazon was so new like this was probably like 98 99 and he gave me a printed page of not careful but um uh guy madden's first movie tales from the gimli hospital and it was like a it was a you know the page that you see on amazon for a product where you can buy it yeah and it was the vhs tape <laughs> wow of tales from the gimli hospital i'll never forget it i was like what is this Amazon and like you know obviously I what a lot of I guess older people now still have a distrust for online buying I had that too but yeah. you know Amazon was really like you know A to Z guarantee of like you know if it gets lost in the mail like you'll get it. and this was in the Philippines it's like man like I could never order this I was thinking like I'd have to order it and like have it sent to like a relative in the states and wow have, yeah you know that relative send it to me you know that kind of thing and the tape was still like kind of pricey it was like 30 bucks you know yeah at the time that was a lot of money and then um and then the the videotape for careful was actually even more expensive because i don't know if you remember this steve but uh some tapes were like a hundred dollars right you know yeah yeah and it's getting back up to that point again now like tapes are becoming collector's items i don't know if you heard that the the back to the future tape like it was a rare like VHS tape that had like I guess a specific like Warner Brothers like logo <laughs> on it or something, and it sold for seventy five thousand dollars. My God! Uh, yeah, at an auction. So I'm like, man, I shouldn't have uh, given away my my tapes. <laughs> you yeah, know, they're like so like it's. I mean, is it because of NFTs? Is it because people are spending money on NFTs that act, that actual fungible things are like. Things are increasing yeah. in value. Well, yeah, or maybe it was just like um, I think with vinyl and then even cassettes kind of making a comeback. Like I guess the next logical step would be VHS, and you know sure. we're get, we're gonna get into it on the second half of this episode with the the '80s. But like you know there is like that '80s, um, you know kind of nostalgia right now mm -hmm. because I guess yeah. a lot of people who are making work is also like people from our generation. Yeah, so um yeah people want to collect those tapes and like even um you know uh companies that are distributors are getting into it like i know mondo um they've released like movies on on vhs mm. it's just so strange like a, a new release on vhs like it's available yeah. in that that medium and you know like vhs's are going by the way of like um uh typewriters right now yeah. like they're so expensive like even just to get it repaired is so expensive that mm -hmm. you might as well just buy another uh player if yeah. um your thing stops working man um 75,000 yeah. for back to the future yeah 
Yeah, just that specific. No, it's just not a regular Back to the Future VHS tape. It was that specific. Right. Like it was rare that it had this trim on it or something on on the on the box. It's not even like the yeah, the tape had the, like special features or yeah. Yeah, it was just the design on the box. Yeah, right. People, it's like it's like know. spending a couple thousand to get the original Green Day Dookie with the brown CD case. <laughs> right. I, I I think like the first pressing of of the what's it called the cd jacket was brown instead of black yeah wow i gotcha yeah yeah so it's getting to that point but yeah just going back to guy madden you know i mean he he is like one of my cinematic godfathers like i consider him to be a big influence on me um because yeah he just basically showed to me how it's possible to make modern day silent films Mm -hmm. even though like my films uh I don't set them in the past. I usually set them in modern day because sometimes, yeah, that is like budgetary constraints. But also, like, I'm just curious about like exploring film as a purely visual medium, not yeah. like doing the the whole pattern of like making something low budget and just having it being dialogue heavy. Right. So I I, I take out most of the dialogue if I can like express it visually. I go right. that way. So Guy Madden, even before I'd seen a Guy Madden film, like just reading about his films inspired me to be like, Ooh. oh, this is possible, you know? That's so, really cool. Yeah, because yeah. like, yeah, because I, so I came in the opposite. So I'm watching this movie. I don't know anything about Guy Madden. I've never heard of this m- movie. And um, and I still really enjoyed it. I did, you know. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, I I definitely wanted just to start off there. Like, like. Um, yeah, I, like the whole like, the whole movie, it kind of for me. I was as the viewer, I was kind of riding this this wave and or this line, where at any moment I was kind of thinking, "What is this? Am I out on this? Is it, this is kind of weird." But yeah. then also being like, <laughs> "But I do want to see what happens next." Right. So it's just like it's just it's biz- it's a unique bizarre thing. Um. If yeah, it, yeah, if you're coming in cold, and so it's kind of cool right. to kind of get that you had this whole background on him, and uh, even before you 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 got to see it. So so did you get to see it? I guess how many years after it came out in '03 did you get to see it? Um, I want to say it was probably when it soon after it came out on DVD. Um, I okay. mean that was the great thing, like you know with this kind of second wave of his career, like um, this distributor Zeitgeist was releasing all his stuff on, on DVD. So it was mm-hmm. fantastic that it was like readily available and obviously like cheaper than those VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I finally got to see all these obscure movies from him, you know, and then, yeah, he, he basically started getting recognition. And I mean, just to track back a little bit, it like the, the key film that really like kickstart his, his career again and like, people really was like oh he's he's a filmmaker to be reckoned with because the those early films they weren't really silent films like you know they had long passages where there was no dialogue but they still had dialogue Mm -hmm. you know but um it was this next era where it was like he just made out and out silent films and to the point that it's like imitating the style like not just like um because i mean like uh uh, careful was done in two strip technicolor okay uh which is also something that's never done anymore but you know that basically means you know how um in order to create a full spectrum you need like three colors rbg mm-hmm. uh r no it's red yellow uh blue uh ryb 
So um yeah, so you need all these colors to to create a full spectrum. But um, I think uh, two strip Technicolor only had blue and red, so it creates this this mm. interesting approach to color. But then um, when he he kind of came back, he he started with this short film that I think was commissioned for the Toronto Film Festival called Heart of the World. And it's a it's a complete short film. Like it it it, it has a full story in six minutes. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah, and it it just moves so much faster. Like you know his his previous work, they they kind of had a lot of like, um, you know, uh, I guess lulls, but not really like boring. But it was just like he started adapting like kind of the montage um style montage style of like. Russian filmmakers, you know, like uh, Eisenstein and uh, uh, Lev Koleshov, and like all the these um, these silent filmmakers um, that just had like this this kind of it was a kind of a propulsive like approach, like it's just carried by its momentum. And yeah, uh, Heart of the World is a masterpiece, you know. And um, the, because of that, he started getting commissions. And just before this movie, um, Cowards Bend the Knee, he actually did. Um, uh, his version of Dracula, um, and it was also completely silent. And then this one actually was performed by a. He collaborated with a royal ballet company, so it's it's Dracula silent in ballet. Mm-hmm. And um, the the main guy who plays Dracula is also like an Asian uh, dancer, so it also gives Dracula a very unique look. Um, yeah, nice. but it. Yeah, so yeah, he just he was on an incredible run in the early two thousands, and um, uh, and yeah, this was the start of basically an autobiographical trilogy that he made. So it was Coward's Bend the Knee was the first movie. The second movie is um, uh, Brand Upon the Brain, and the third one is um, My Winnipeg, which is um, a documentary in quotes because you know, as I was saying, it's like this is an autobiographical film. But it's done in like so many filters, like you know, being set in the past before even Guy Madden was born. You know, um, it's like you you have to parse through all of those details to even find like what was autobiographical about it. You know, because <laughs> obviously like Guy Madden wasn't a hockey player, mm-hmm. you know, but he envisions himself in Cowards Bend the Knee as this star ho- hockey player of the um, of this team, uh, the Winnipeg Maroons, which is a real team, by the way. And uh, the movie actually begins with them winning the Allen Cup, mm-hmm. which is a real uh, championship that you can win. So they won the Allen Cup. So, the, you know, there there are like historic, it's grounded in, in mm-hmm. historical moments. But obviously there was never a star player named Guy Madden on the team. And um, the the movie has like a subtitle. It's called um, Or the Blue Hands. Yeah. Um, and I love too how when the subtitle comes on, like the actual like title card becomes blue and yeah it's just done in like this kind of primitive way of just like the the film like kind of sputters uh the focus like you know goes in and out yeah. <laughs> um the the sound uh is like it, it it has a lot of treble a lot of like pops and like you know kind of old time like you know when you leave a record just yeah. kind of spinning after the songs have ended like it has that kind of yeah uh sound yeah, it's really dreamy. It's really um yeah, like uh the way it's edited is very unique and it feels old-timey but also modern and you know like 
the way that that um, in a certain scene, you'll you'll almost see the same shot like three times in an edit, right? As it like cycles through, and it's like I don't necessarily know if that's something that's like a, a direct tie to silent the silent era, or if that's something yeah. to kind of make, uh, or you know something that that guy manages presenting for emphasis in a right. u- kind of a unique way that uh but yeah, it's, it's very i would say the movie is very hypnotizing yeah for sure yeah and i mean i i i appreciated back then when i first saw it as just like this entertainment but mm-hmm. um the second time around like you know watching it uh, being older and also having made films of my own um yeah, I, I noticed those little things and I realized like, yeah, he he's coming from this style, not just like as an appreciator of it, because that's my problem with a lot of like modern silent movies that try to imitate, like, say, you know, big Oscar winner a few years ago, the artist, yeah. you know, it's just basically imitating that that style, but it's not coming from an organic place the way Guy Madden is. Mm-hmm. Like he really lives and breathes this style. It's not just like, oh, let me imitate like how silence were. And you you bring up an interesting point. Like it feels like he's also incorporating his own like devices into it because uh, I don't even know like what to compare this to. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, I didn't even mention him. Another um, uh, Russian filmmaker, Zigabvertov. Like his films, like I mean, his his most famous movie is a uh, man with a movie camera, and it kind of moves at that pace too. And like you know, it also has like these these weird moments. But yeah, it's just like the 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 choice of close ups and how mm-hmm. the close up will cut to a, another close up that doesn't match. It's just like yeah. to me, it, it's wonderful. Like I mean, there's something so. Um, like uh, I don't know, exhilarating about it, you know? Yeah, it will, and it's in the hands of a lesser director and editor, it could really fall apart. But you really feel, I don't know, the fact that I was able to get through the movie and really enjoy it, as as you know, someone who I wouldn't necessarily call myself like a real, um, you know, like I'm a little more of a popcorn mo- sure. movie fan, and and um. And so to kind of really enjoy it, it's like it takes a lot of skill and thought. And and really, as a viewer, you kind of trust that you're in good hands. Um, whereas, like, I think a lot of other movies that, may, that maybe will attempt to get to this point might go off the rails a little sooner. Right. And and as the viewer, you're, you're, you're feeling that uncomfortability of, like, I don't know about this. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but I, I was able to hang in, and it was really – Really good, but um, I I have a question just to, right right out the gate. Sure. You've Let's you've probably it. thought about this. Um, so the first chapter, right. it's called Sperm Players. <laughs> yes. Um, and it starts with the doctor, the doctor Fusi character, I believe, is the one who's like looking yes. through a microscope at what yeah. what what I assume is sperm, yep. and he sees the hockey game. He sees the initial. Right winnipeg maroons hockey match i think it's the championship match yeah so are we supposed to think that all of this is occurring in in a in a in a in in a pile of spooge like what's like what's the (laughs) 
<laughs> like what um what like what does that opening mean to you? What is yeah the the chapter yeah. title? It's it's an interesting point you bring up because uh you know Doctor Fusi is a character in the story too that occurs with Guy Madden mm-hmm. the character you know it's like he they 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 have an interaction together um so it's like he's looking through it and then you know he sees this or is it just like he's just seeing the game he's you know, seeing the game the, yeah yeah. And like to see hockey from that bird's eye view, does it look like sperm that's basically swimming around like very fast? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I guess um, so. Because, yeah. 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 And I mean, I love also how that shot, you know, when he like zooms into the um, the microscope, it's like a kaleidoscope, you know, like you're seeing the edges with mm-hmm. like action going on with it too. Like it mm-hmm. kind of fractures the the frame into like kind of a a diamond mm-hmm. um yeah it's just uh yeah it's it's beautiful how it's done and um i don't know like uh to me the movie is taking place in in even though it is an autobiographical movie it's taking place in in the fictional world you know mm-hmm. a world of dreams where a lot of things that didn't happen in real life becomes possible mm-hmm. you know and that that was the the fascinating for me about like this go around of watching it. I was like actually genuinely trying to figure out what were the autobiographical elements, mm. you know, like what is it that you know he you know he's he's doing all these filters. Like I mean, you could even say that that's a metaphor for it of like looking at your life through a microscope, you know, to to mm-hmm. begin the movie, you know, but uh, like examining those things because he's always had like. Um, autobiographical details within his movies, even though they're not, you know, obviously about him. But uh, like in Careful, there's a story about a baby who like went blind because the mother like held the baby too close to like an open like pin, you know, mm. <laughs> and poked the baby's eye. And that actually happened to Guy Madden's dad. So he's always oh. like imbued those details. Um, you know, and, and it's something so bizarre like that, but that's just really the thing. It's like his, his attention to those little details. Yeah. And again, just going back to that whole thing of the style that he's sincere about it. You know, it's not just some sort of put on, like, it's really something that he can't escape out of in a way. And it, it, it's weird, like to jump forward with the, the third movie in the autobiographical trilogy, because it's a documentary mm-hmm. and it's the first time you actually see like modern day things in a guy madden movie (laughs) like you know to see like the modern like the hockey arena because at that time you know obviously the the winnipeg jets had left they Mm -hmm. hadn't come back yet so it was like uh, about like how winnipeg never recovered from that you know and they still had like you know the slap in the face was like they were given a minor league team and they were like the vancouver canucks like minor league team too um so but yeah the that's the thing. It's like there's there's this sincerity with Guy Madden that um, he doesn't also take it too seriously. Like uh, he he talks about a lot how he's he's a big fan of melodrama, but he realizes how ridiculous melodrama is and he uses it for, to comic effect, you mm. know. And uh, yeah, that's one of the things in the movie that 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 pops up again because it's so dramatic. Like there's so many things that happen, like. I, I don't even know where to begin in terms of, like, really summarizing the, the whole plot. But let's just say, okay, so Guy Madden is a star hockey player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in love with this uh, this girl named Veronica, 
but um she has to get an abortion and <laughs> and i i believe that this is like an autobiographical detail and um they go to a to a hair salon which also doubles as an abortion clinic right and, <laughs> and i know that um like um uh like Guy Madden's mom actually worked at a hair salon, so that's you know an autobiographical detail. And along the way, he meets like this uh, nurse or this assistant to Doctor Fusi, who's uh, the abortion doctor. Which, you know, just a weird kind of coincidence. I picked this movie before all the recent news that happened. Yeah, and it's strangely timely. <laughs> it totally ties in. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I guess uh, for for those people who are listening to this episode like out of context. Um, uh yeah, like uh the Supreme Court recently overturned Roe v. Wade. Um so yeah, I I had no idea well, I guess there was like a leak that happened a couple of weeks ago, yeah. but I wasn't thinking about that when I picked the movie. I was just like, Oh, I wanna rewatch a favorite film that I hadn't yeah. seen in a while and see yeah. if it ha- it stands out. And we had also like been talking about hockey, so I was like, Oh yeah, this is perfect. The, yeah, the, the, this has gotta be the only movie that's that combines hockey and abortion. So yes. it's like it, it, you really hit a home run with this one. Yeah, exactly. It's so timely. <laughs> End of June. Um, or yeah, or so, home run. Uh, actually, you uh, you rifled a slap shot into the yeah, top yeah. top corner. Yeah, there the puck was right in my wheelhouse, you know, and I just like lined it up. Banged you know, it I, five I, hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hit the bomb. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, yeah, and it was in overtime too. It was the overtime winner. <laughs> yeah, sudden death. Good. <laughs> Sudden death. So, yeah. so I, I do, the um, the night clinic. It's also like a, It also feels like it's like. Is it a bordello? Um, as yes. well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's. A, it's implied that it, it's that as well. And um, mm-hmm. uh, and then he meets this girl who's uh, Doctor Fusi's assistant, um, named Meta. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, who's played by Melissa Dionisio and I looked her up by the way she's Filipino. Yeah. Uh, I had a feeling with her name but yeah she she is a presence in the movie. Yeah, you know? she's great. And like I looked on her IMDb. I don't know if she's she was in a lot more after this but Yeah, it's a um, shame. I mean, yeah, I would she, cast her. <laughs> yeah, she was so good. And yeah. um so yeah, I do wonder what happened to, after with her career. Um yeah. I did there might be two Filipinos in this cast, which um, oh, the her father, yeah, right? which 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 I was like, hey, all right, yeah. that's that's pretty good, yeah, right, and like in Canada, <laughs> yeah, like in, in Winnipeg, like I don't I don't know many Filipinos are in Winnipeg. I don't know I mean, many, how, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I I I think we have some, or at least my mom has some friends who have moved up into like the Toronto kind of yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, and we have some relatives in Vancouver. Okay, perfect. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Manitoba. That's a, a a different deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, um, she kind of, I guess, is the femme fatale of the story, and mm-hmm. he, she leads Guy Madden astray. You know, obviously, like his hockey playing suffers, and he's he's not present for Veronica, who I think dies. Right, she dies um during the the abortion. Yeah, from like it's unclear whether if it's complications from the abortion mm-hmm. or like despair with heartbreak with, with yeah heartbreak with guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's it's spelled out that it is from heartbreak. Yeah, um, right. With a guy very callously leaving her <laughs> to go try yeah. to hook up with Meta um, while while the procedure is going down. Right, and I think that's uh, that's where the 
the coward of the title fits in. It's just like how cowardly he is in terms of not just kind of being upfront with with um, Veronica in terms of uh, you know mm-hmm. ending the relationship, but you know there is also that that complication of she's obviously getting an abortion that that's Guy Madden's uh, uh, baby, you know, mm-hmm. since they're they're the one in the re- they're the ones in a relationship. I doubt that he would take her there if um if it was somebody else's baby. <laughs> Right, so, and so is yeah. it kind of implied that Guy doesn't want the baby, or like yeah, it's yeah, okay, yeah, because she's 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 very afraid, and I think um the the matron of of the hair salon is kind of trying to comfort her, um, but yeah, it, it, that is one of the more darker parts of of the film, and um, uh, and yeah, just the fact that yeah, he's cowardly in terms of abandoning her for this mm-hmm. new exciting woman who is like terrible for him because you Mm -hmm. know basically she she has like this whole revenge plot that she wants to enact um uh and uh it involves like turning guy madden into the machine of this uh this vengeance Mm -hmm. you know um and that that's where the the blue hands uh fit in yeah um yeah, and this part is like is quite memorable and quite uh, ridiculous at the same time, and but at the same time, in the, just in the context of the movie, it really works. Just that they essentially trick guy into thinking that he gets surgery, met his father's <laughs> blue hands. Yeah, and I mean this is a running thing with with Guy Madden's films too. There's Freudian psychology that abounds, and that whole thing of like, you know. Hands, I think it's even in because I bought Guy Madden's uh, like screenplay or scenario for this movie, so he has a note in it about like hands, you know, how like they he wanted the hands to basically be more of the forms of expression more than than faces, mm-hmm. you know, and also uh, being that the film itself is like tactile, you know, because it's shot on film and you really feel it. Um, so much of it is like even just. Um, I guess Meta's like seduction of of Guy Madden is like um, you can't touch me until you know you do this thing you know or, yeah, he, yeah he, first you need the blue hands and yeah, yeah and like and like he keeps lunging at, at, at her boobs and she, and she's yeah. like it, it, there must be at least at least ten cuts of that yeah. scene <laughs> yeah and she's like moving it away but obviously yeah. the boobs are out like it's not just like she she had right. he's trying to grab it with with her shirt on like she so you know it's like this temptation and seduction mm-hmm. which is like classic film noir you know the femme fatale mm-hmm. um and yeah that that's just it like i i could see in terms of um uh the the autobiographical elements i mean i'm sure guy madden we, we've all been there like you know been torn between two women and you know kind of being tempted by one of them and you mm-hmm. know doing that cowardly thing of just like you know abandoning mm-hmm. one of them for the other and then getting seduced yeah and i'm sure you know guy madden didn't commit these murders but yeah the, <laughs> yeah let, let's talk about the surgery that, that the doctor does yeah so um so <laughs> he's supposed to get an, a hand transplant you know so the the remaining um like uh like vestige of of um of Meta's father, who was like uh, I guess cruelly murdered. That's why she wants to enact this revenge. Is um his his hands, which have turned blue because you know they were like being preserved. Um and like uh, he 
she wants like Doctor Fusi to like do a transplant where um <laughs> he he and then you know Madden's hands will be blue, but instead of actually doing the actual surgery, what he does is he just paints over them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, paint, he paints them with blue hands, and when when Guy Madden comes to, he thinks that they're not a part of him. Like they're this this autonomous body part now that will just do things that are beyond his control and he starts like acting out you know with murders Mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah and the whole thing with the blue hands is i guess uh, meta's dad chaz his hands were blue from um blue hair dye because i guess he was a hairdresser in the salon oh i missed that detail oh man i didn't realize that (laughs) that his hands were blue yeah i think from from so much dye and then I think it was, I think it was alluded to that Lilium, the um, the the, matron. the the head salon slash bordello owner, um, was the one who murdered him. Oh right, yeah. So that's yeah, that's why he, she, um, so Meta wants to enact that revenge plot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so guy has his hands blue. They've, um, but, uh, but yeah, he believes that he has Chaz's hands and he starts to, yeah, to, um, I think he first attempts to, uh, murder, um, who was it? The, the police chief, his, um, his buddy. Yeah. I, who's also his teammate on, uh, the Maroons. Uh, this is yeah. another detail that I love, by the way, that, you know, like, uh, hockey players in Canada, are basically like they they can be part of a professional team but they still have a day job mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and so much of that like uh i guess in terms of my preparation for this episode too was i i read the graphic novel um essex county by uh jeff lemire mm. or lemire i can uh, i don't know how his last name is properly pronounced but he's he's incredible like um and that's what it talks about it's like about these people um who basically grew up on a farm which you hear being talked about to talk, uh, you know, um, in terms of characters, um, uh, one of the sideline reporters in the NHL, who's also been a coach, uh, Pierre Maguire, like mm-hmm. he loves like bringing up like what small town this this yeah. uh, hockey player is from, you know, mm-hmm. and then you know how like they're a farmhand, like that's such a common experience that you know, like before they became hockey players, like they were helping out on a farm. Mm-hmm. Or you know, um, uh, they uh, you know they they work for the the police, you know that kind of thing. So I love that that that's a detail in this in this movie too. That you know his friend is is I think he's the chief of police, or he's something definitely like that, or yeah, or, or yeah. A captain or something. Yeah, right. And um, yeah, I, I think that happens later on in the movie. Uh, that's kind of like when he he's already like gone. Uh, over the edge and he's really lost himself I think because you know that that is definitely like a when you cross that line when you kill your friend right. you know because yeah. I, I yeah. don't think he needed to do it like you know because the, it was like he killed his friend because his friend was able to put put together that he that he was behind the murders you know but mm-hmm. the friend was like willing to keep confidence in it but he still killed him <laughs> yeah you know um, oh yeah yeah so, um, yeah, so it, it just kind of spirals out from there. And then eventually, like, uh, I can't remember what prompted it, but it was like he actually ends up 
getting the actual surgery. Um, and they they actually take out his hands. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I think yeah. So eventually, I think Meta wants her dad's hands back. Right. And so then Doctor Fusi performs the surgery, and they kind of attach hockey gloves onto where his his yeah, hands but were. Now he, yeah, he just has stumps and He's you know stubs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you you can talk about like how you know that could be a metaphor for you know castration, you know, not having hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he, he can't do his his perverse things anymore because he can't touch people with his hands, you know. Right, and um, and there were some perverse things. I remember early, earlier in the movie, I think he's like, sedu- or he's like seduced by, or or is maybe seduces Lillian when he's yeah. trying to kill her, and then he like, like fists her in the <laughs> yes. like salon, kind of. I completely forgot about that scene. I was like, I was shocked when I saw that. I was like, man, I forgot that. Maybe I guess maybe when I first saw it. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I mean, I was in like my early twenties at that time. Right. So I was just, Oh wow. Like I just, um, it was a detail that I completely glossed over. Yeah. It's very comical it... the way it's done. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it kind of reminds me of clown, like, you know, something mm-hmm. that you might see in the, in clown. Um, right. And then there, well, actually speaking of clown, there is another scene where he's, um, I think it's before he chokes his buddy in the, uh, the locker room. There's like a quick cut to like they're in the showers. It's like him right. and a hockey buddy. And I think he like pokes he like pokes yeah. him in the butt or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's like actually that's the first evil deed that he does with the blue hands. Mm. And then when he's like flashing back to all the things that he did, that's one of the things that he, he flashes back to is that he's right. poking his and then there's a buzzer sound <laughs> that plays when he, he touches his pokes his friend yeah. in the butt. Um, uh. yeah, I mean, that, that is another thing, I guess, that doesn't really get covered that much in, in sports or gets glossed over, especially in sports movies is like, you know, how, you know, and maybe it's a camar- camaraderie thing, but you know, it's mm-hmm. like these, sure. these people, you know, a lot of teammates like shower together and they're, they're just naked, you know, and, um, you know, when they win the cup, they're completely the Allen cup, they're completely yeah. naked and celebrating in the shower and, you know, it, it's full frontal nudity. Mm-hmm. in the movie and uh you know uh, guy madden's married and he has kids uh actually i think he's been married twice now he's married to um kim morgan who's a fantastic uh, uh film critic mm-hmm. uh who's also like been guests on different podcasts she's she's great um and uh yeah but he does have like these homoerotic mm-hmm. like moments in his films like i mean you know he he ta- he goes there in terms of like i think sexuality like he's willing to explore the these these dark places because you know uh incest is also like a um a a recurring motif in his Mm. work you know i mean it's part of careful um and yeah it's it's here too because you know you can you can view it in that freudian way of like meta's attraction to to guy is because now he has her father's hands you know Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really sad movie. It ends with like Guy Madden losing his hands and like committing one more murder. And then, you know, there's, there's this jump where it's like, uh, yeah, the, the climax of the movie also takes place at a hockey rink, by the way. 
Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, the, you know, it, it's all about him, like, bringing back the legends of, of the Winnipeg Maroons. And <laughs> um, they're apparently still alive, but they're, like, frozen, like, wax figures. Right. Yeah. And, and um, but it, it, it makes you think, because at the end of the movie, you know, he ends up being one of those wax yeah. figures. But he's not, like, recognized as Guy Madden. Like, he has a different name. Right, he has a different yeah. name. And also, you know, one, one of the things is you see, I think, Dr. Fusi feeding yeah. the um, the wax figures, one of whom is, is, is Chaz, Meta's dad. Mm-hmm. And it makes, it makes you think... Are th- are these men all choosing to be up there, and like they're pretending to be statues so they don't have to like live their lives or deal with the consequences of their actions, right? Um, and kind of a cow, you know, it, you know, again speaking to cowards, yeah. um, that it's like a collection of cowards, um, and it also makes you wonder how many of them are have are missing their hands and how I, many I, of them have, have, have meta and Dr. Fusi maybe run this, this game on, on many of them where it's yeah. like, you know, they paint their hands. They eventually cut them off. You know, I don't know. Well, the way I saw it was like, um, uh, they, they still definitely had their hands. I think like guy Madden was like the victim of getting their hands because, um, you can see how they hold their their hockey sticks. Okay. You know, you can't hold your hockey stick like that without hands. You know, you mm-hmm. need like okay. the way that they have like Guy Madden posed at the end, you know, with his gloved no hands. Right. You know, it's like they're just basically leaning the stick against like his shoulder okay. because he can't hold it. Um but the other players are are clearly gripping the stick. And you know, that is a thing in hockey too if you want to get into like the technicalities like you know, when somebody is a is a good player and a skilled player in hockey, they say like they have like not great hands. You know, like they have soft mm-hmm. hands. Like Connor McDavid, who's like considered to be the best player in hockey right now, like he has great hands. You know, because he he can deliver that pass or he can score that goal, like that timey goal, because you know he knows where to put his hands mm-hmm. in terms of you know where his stick is and having that that hockey sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes through your hands. And there's even an insult to unskilled players where they're considered to be stone hands. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, the way I viewed this like wax museum thing with, with all these figures, I I actually looked at it more from, I guess, relating to my own experience of like early on kind of choosing between sports and the arts, like Mm. um, the key like thing for me and i guess it's fascinating because guy madden was the same way i mean i'm sure he played hockey like you know as a canadian that's just the thing you do you know when the the ponds are frozen you play hockey outside you know like it's a big part of your life and a lot of them probably entertained that idea of of becoming a professional hockey player and of course winning the cup um and that's what actually Essex County talks about too of just like this idea of like even just tasting the NHL you know like a lot of these players kind of like in uh, what I love in Bull Durham is how it features how hard it is to break into baseball being in these like different minor leagues Mm -hmm. you know it's the same thing with with hockey you know you have to like break through these different minor leagues before you even get to play on the professional level so going back to what when I had to choose between arts and sports that's just what I was thinking. I was like, man, I can keep 
you know, doing the arts until I'm I'm old. You know, I can mm-hmm. die making, you know, films. But sports, I would have to give it up. Like, there mm-hmm. will be a point where basically I'm not physically able to do it anymore. You know, uh, I won't have, like, these natural gifts. Not that I did, but, you know, like, I was thinking in that sense that if I, if I really focused on it, like, you know, if I wanted to become mm-hmm. a basketball player, like, um, uh, yeah, I those skills will diminish. And I, it's amazing that I had this thought at, like, 14 years old, you know, that it, it yeah, hit wild. me at that. Yeah, at that point, because, you know, I was like, I yeah, I was so into sports at that time. And and like, um, you know, I, I I even dreamt of like having a shoe deal, that kind of shit, like getting sponsored by <laughs> by Adidas, you know, that kind of thing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, but yeah, it, it flashed in my mind and I was just like, man, like, yeah, I want to just, you know, whatever it is that I'm passionate about, I want to keep doing it until like. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. old, you know, like I, I even remember like a Martin Scorsese quote where he says like he wants to die behind the camera. I was like, yeah, I want that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So relate going back to that wax museum, what I feel is like that's it. It's like the a lot of, of athletes talk about it, like how they miss the game, you know, when when they're much older and how they envy like all these young players who are coming into the their respective leagues because they can do what they used to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I remember like I play NBA 2K and, you know, like uh, Clark Kellogg says that because, you know, he's a former player. He will be like, ah, to be young again, mm-hmm. you know. So all you have for your legacy, well, I, I guess now you have highlights, which is amazing. But back then it was like, you know, it's getting memorialized, like your name on the cup or like, yeah, yeah being basically like uh holding records and stuff like that and being memorialized in a museum or you know the, the most mm-hmm. legendary for most sports is like having your statue outside of an arena you know so that kind of thing i think is what that wax museum was about was like mm-hmm. this whole thing of hanging on to your legacy and like how you want to be remembered but you know it's like you, you can't do it anymore like you're you're past your prime you know that that's all you have left is just like this this record of things you had done in the past but that's not you now even if you're still alive mm-hmm. um you can't play hockey anymore the same way you used to you know yep <laughs> so um that's mm-hmm. what i thought it was um but yeah okay. uh but yeah i guess just to wrap things up uh, i'm glad you liked it yeah and um i think it holds up you know i really do feel like it's still one of my favorite movies um i'll still come back to it yeah. from time to time and you know I'm, I'm i saw new things this 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 go around so yeah it was great yeah it's, it's definitely a movie where i think in a rewatch you're gonna catch new things each time i do what sure. i just have one more question sure uh, what's with the ice breast well, you know, I, I think that that's an an unanswerable question similar yeah. to like <laughs> okay. the sperm. It's like this open thing. But again, I guess relating to like characters in hockey, that's another thing. Because uh, I guess another detail we forgot to mention is that uh, Guy Madden Sr. is mm. uh, the commentator for the Winnipeg Maroons. And that's one of the things that he does is like... You know, I, I believe it's like a superstitious thing where he he fondles the ice breast, which is basically a slab of ice that's you know shaped like a breast. Yeah, um, yeah. As as he's calling the play by play of the yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 very like striking and very mm-hmm. odd. But you know, again, I think 
just from a filmmaking perspective, you know, like how do you insert things into a movie that kind of, you know, I think that that doesn't get shown until one of the later chapters just to kind of inject a little life or if someone's starting to kind of drift from the story to kind of help bring them back. And, you know, it's, it seems like he kind of masterfully adds these little notes in, you know, like I think in chapter nine, you see like a naked penis, mm-hmm. like um, next when, when, when Guy Madden's in go, going to the bathroom and his dad helps to unzip his pants and then his dad yeah. is going pee. So it's right. like, there's all these things that get added in just to kind of like, shock you back into like hey don't drift away don't drift away this is gonna be yeah. good you know yeah um, and just the the whole like se- separated by chapters thing like uh another detail that i noticed this go around was just how um the music restarts you know mm-hmm. like when when one chapter ends like it, the music isn't continuous because it is just like simulating that fact that you were watching it at different viewing stations you know um and the it's a totally new piece but yeah that there's a lot of things that he does to basically kind of keep you engaged with it that is totally organic with the film it's not like he's just doing it just to jump start you um uh while you're watching it but yeah it's just uh yeah there's some something about the symmetry of the film just like you know how every chapter is six minutes long and it's 10 Mm -hmm. chapters you know and it's a perfect one hour movie you know um all of those things just um fit in so yeah i wish it was more readily available it's definitely one that yeah that i would recommend if i knew how to watch it (laughs) yeah for sure yeah i mean i think that dvd is kind of pricey now it's hard um yeah i hope like criterion release because they you know criterion released the other two movies they released uh, brand upon the brain and uh and my Winnipeg, but I guess, you know, Zeitgeist, the original distributor, maybe there's like yeah. some rights issues or something, but yeah, definitely. I, I recommend the trilogy, like watch all three because they're all different. You know, um, there's some hockey in my Winnipeg, but it's not as prominent and there's no hockey at all in, in, uh, in brand upon the brain because it, it goes back to like when Guy Madden was a kid. Sure. So it's even like, yeah, further into the past. So yeah. All right. All right. Well, good, man. It was a great selection, great hockey movie, great All abortion right. movie. <laughs> yeah. If that even exists, great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are okay. your top abortion movies? Yeah. yeah. Trust. I got gotcha. Hal Hartley's Trust for sure. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. So let's get into your movie, Steve. All right. So while you were talking um, about Cowards, I thought of a good segue into the next movie. So Cowards, there's a love triangle. Okay. You know, there's uh, there's Guy Madden with Meta and Veronica, and this next movie also features a love triangle. Man, um, I didn't even realize that connection. <laughs> oh, yeah, <man>. that's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. That's wild. it's it's it, it's so yeah, it's kind of the 1980s version of Cowards, I guess. <laughs> um, so it's 1985 Secret Admirer, starring C. Thomas Howell. And I guess you would also say Lori Laughlin and Kelly Preston probably yes. get the top billing. Um, so quickly, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. It came out in 85 and similar to Clue, which also came out in 85. I did not see it then. Hmm. Um, I saw it much later, I think, in the, let's say in the mid-90s when it was experiencing a run on Comedy Central. So this was another movie that for whatever reason Comedy Central would run on the weekends and quite often and so i remember just being home you know in that you know age 13 through 17 range 
and just like flipping it on and really enjoying it. But I really haven't watched it since those days. And so I was really curious, like what, because um, I don't know, it has a lot of lines that I remember, a lot of scenes, the scenarios. Oh, yeah. I got, I got a favorite line. Um, and it was a really fun rewatch. Um, and so I'm curious, yeah, Secret Admirer, do you have any history with this one? No, I I mean I had never even heard of it until you mentioned the movie. Like I thought it was like a a board game or something. I guess mm-hmm. like similar to Clue. Oh, like, similar but, to Clue. Yeah, yeah I, I mixed it up with um. You know that game? I I, I can't even remember. Sweet what Valley it was. High. No, that's isn't that like a novel series? Like um, could no, be. Yeah. Yeah, there was a game that was like a phone where you basically <gasps> had to guess who was calling you. Yeah, you I that? think I think it was called Secret Admirer right. or something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah, so I thought it was tied into that for some reason. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was one of the most surprising things I think about the movie is like how it dispels the mystery of who the Secret Admirer is like pretty much right away. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a who done it. No, and that's what I was expecting. I was like, man, like, oh yeah, it's yeah. gonna be this whole mystery. Um, but no, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's Lori Laughlin. Um, which so it's kind of funny to kind of see this movie. You know, it's it's got a kind of an all star cast when you right. think about it now, but like all for kind of different reasons. Um. You know, like I don't really know if anyone went on to be the star that that um, they maybe thought they were going to be. Like I think there was a period where C. Thomas Howell was caught shit, yeah, um, but didn't quite turn that next gear. Yeah. You know that like the Tom Cruises and other yeah, others in this kind were, of bulk yeah, did emerged in the eighties. Yeah, he he kind of had more of a Patrick Dempsey arc. You know, right? Yeah, that's what I feel. But you know, like the following year after this, he made The Hitcher, which is probably his biggest movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and people still love that movie. It's a it's a blind spot for me. I still haven't seen it, but I, I yeah. you know, it's on the list. Yeah, um, and then like you know, on the other flip side, he was also you know, um, in that movie Soul Man. That was that was actually my only yeah C. Thomas Howell movie that I I'd yeah seen where before. he's essentially in blackface and it was like totally acceptable. <laughs> Uh, and kind of a, a a funny college comedy at the time. Yeah. I mean, I had a fondness uh, for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I exactly. mean, I haven't seen it recently, but back then, as a teen, like I enjoyed that movie. Hey, yeah, it's good. Uh, but and, uh, yeah, I, it's, I, I'm pretty sure Soul Man was also on Comedy Central in, mm. in this era. Um, but yeah, so yeah, see Thomas Howell. Then you have Lori Laughlin, who's now most famous for the USC college right. tuition scandal. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, it's like that's what people know her as now. Yeah, but at the time, she was like a total babe, a total heartthrob. I had a crush on her seeing mm. this movie in the 90s. Um, and, then, and then I think, you know, she was in Full House right. know, at some point. Yeah, actually in an episode called Secret Admirer on Full House. Ooh. I looked it up. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so weird coincidence. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Kelly Preston went on. Um, she was in Jerry Maguire. Yeah. And she's been like, you know, I don't know if she ever like had a leading role in, every, in anything big, but she was definitely a big Hollywood actress for a long period of time. And then, of course, was married to uh, to John Travolta. Travolta. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, not John yeah. Travolta, R.I.P. Kelly Preston. Man, she yeah. passed away uh, in 2020. So sad. And um, 
and then yeah, just rounding out the cast, you you know, in the parents of these high school kids, you have Fred Ward, who's really oh, funny. Yes, yes, we'll get into that. Yeah, R.I.P. Fred um, Ward too. He passed away oh, this year. Yeah, so bad. Man, oh, terrible. Yeah. And then of course, um, D. Wallace. As, yes, as the mom, and Corey Haim. As uh, his brother, younger brother, yeah, I didn't even recognize him, man. Yeah, young Corey Haynes. So it's, yep. it's it's kind of cool to, to kind of go back and the and to see all these guys. Yeah, and even like uh, Casey uh, Casey Simesco, is that how you pronounce his last name? I, uh, yeah, yeah, he was in is Back that, to the Future Part Two. Is, is, is he Roger? Yeah, Roger. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, he's okay. he's kind of like that guy that you recognize. It's like, oh yeah, he's been in a bunch of movies. I mean, I I remember him best in um in uh, Three O'clock High, you know, which mm. is a, a great like I think that's a '90s movie, but I I really enjoyed that, you know. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. Uh, but okay. yeah, it, yeah, it's a, it's got a great cast. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, just in a weird kind of thing too with um with D Wallace being cast as a uh, C Thomas Howell's mom, like he was kind of perving over her in, in ET, you know, because they were both in <laughs> ET as well. And it's like, now he's, he's his mom. This is a That's weird, so like, funny. Yeah. I forgot he's, he's an ET. Yeah, oh man. C, C Thomas Howell was like, yeah, he was in a bunch of movies in the eighties. Yeah. He was I, in uh, the outsiders. The Outsiders, yeah, yeah that, that's what yeah. I remember. Yeah, but he, I guess he was also in Red Dawn. Wow, he right, was in a ton right. of movies. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's awesome. So, so obviously, so the plot, just to kind of bang it out, it's pretty simple. Lori Laughlin, it's, it's the last day of school, so it's a, so it's a, so it's a June m- movie, right? Um, last day of school. I think they're like juniors. She writes a uh, C. Thomas Howell a secret admirer letter so kind of an anonymous anonymous letter kind of professing her love slips it in his locker and he opens it his buddies read it and the and oddly enough they don't try to figure out who it is they, they just make an assumption. want it to be <laughs> kelly preston's <laughs> character deborah ann fimple so bad yeah that then they just try to force it to be her and that's kind of the movie. <laughs> yep. And then uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings be- leading up to that. And that that's where yeah. a lot of the, the humor comes from in the movie yeah. is just like people like the, the letter. G- yeah. The letter gets passed around and uh, it even gets to the point. Of, and I think this is really what what gives the movie, I think, an edge over other teen movies that the, the parents figure into it a lot yep. you know and they, they get involved with it like there, there's also a mix up between basically kelly preston's parents and um uh, c thomas howell's parents which yep. I, yep. I really enjoyed that whole subplot you know and and how it ties into the movie with with their totally. misunderstandings yeah i love it um yeah. so to kind of just like back up because I, I do kind of want to go through this and like touch on some of like my favorite items because it's like sure. it's stuff yeah that... i got some too Cool. So the movie starts with C. Thomas Howell running. I, I mean, it's funny. The movie is kind of bookended with C. Thomas Howell running really fast. At the right. beginning, he's running from his uh, locker to then meet up with where Lori Laughlin and Kelly Preston's class is getting out. And then at right. the end, he's running at the docks in San Pedro to kind of catch up to Lori. 
Yes. But we'll, we'll get there. But it, yeah, it is kind of reminiscent of like Tom Cruise level speed running, yeah. which is kind of I mean, fun to yeah. see in a movie. I mean, who who else is more iconic than Tom Cruise running? I mean, that, that yeah. way that he runs, like the puffing and like the way the elbows go up. Oh mm-hmm. my god, yeah, like yeah. Tom Cruise running. Like I mean my favorite I think Tom Cruise run is in in the firm. Like watch him oh, run yeah. in the firm is just like yeah, yeah so good. Yeah. <laughs> Lawyers running. That's yeah. Good. Um see Thomas Howell he he uh he opens the locker with a, a fist bang. And that's mm. kind of to me I was kind of realizing there's a lot of precursors to Saved by the Bell in this movie. Sure. Like I don't know if if the writers or creators were watching this or just this these tropes were just in the zeitgeist and it was just like parallel thinking, but you can see yeah opening a locker with a fist that's very much like AC Slater, right? Um, Lori Laughlin is very much she has the hair of Kelly Kapowski. <laughs> I didn't even realize that connection too, man. Yeah, yeah and um, there was another Saved by the Bell. Oh, oh, the the college character Steve. He kind of has like an AC Slater sure. vibe with the muscles and the and the collared shirts, but the sleeves are rolled up. Yeah, yeah. And, and see, and see, Thomas Howell very much is like Zach with like the colorful button down shirts that are like open. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, and uh, you know, just even tying it to to say anything. I this is like what I like in terms of the characters, you know, comparing it to say something like The Breakfast Club that also came out the same year, by the way. Yeah, we'll we'll get into like how oh, wow. loaded nineteen eighty five was, but um, uh, yeah, like uh, you know, every character in The Breakfast Club is a cliche. You know, it's like the jock, yeah. the nerd. Mm-hmm. Like I like that how John Cusack's character and C. Thomas Howell's character they're kind of in between. They're like they're not like normal enough or square enough to be to fit into one category like there's a weirdness to them that like makes them a little bit on the outside but like still accepted in a way you know yeah Yeah. like like you can see that michael can is there's a path for him to be to appear attractive to to deb to debbie to deborah ann fample right even though he's maybe not uh in her wheelhouse he's he's not a jock you know Mm -hmm. he's you know, he he hangs out with this really wacky '80s crew, yeah. which we should talk. We 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 should talk about his friend crew. Yeah. Um. So Roger kind of plays this like, I don't know what you call that aesthetic. It's kind of like commando. Yeah, aesthetic. military. Yeah, he's the yeah. got the beret, and uh, he yeah, drives green a berets. shitty van. He's like a sand. <laughs> he looks like a contra kind yeah. of a, a, kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, and then in the crew, there's also like a character who's super stylized. I think they they call it they they make fun of him. They call him uh, Duran. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's totally you know, that, band. or like Flo- flock of seagulls. Flock of seagulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's got that vibe for sure. But but again, the crew, as you know, they're there for comic relief. But um, they're you know they're it's not terribly overwritten or terribly. I don't know. I don't know. It, to me, it's like it's fun, right? It and and what I feel is like, aside from the Roger character, who's probably the most comic relief, like you can you can see another movie where you know, like the Duran Duran guy would be the main character. You know, yeah. it's like all of them are not interchangeable, but like they could be the main character of another movie. Mm-hmm. 
It's yeah. like it, it's possible for it to happen to them. And you can see it like, you know, they're obviously like jealous when things start to happen for C. Thomas Howell or uh, what's his character's name? Michael. Like, Michael, when, yeah. yeah, when they start to see that it's happening with uh, it's Debbie. Debbie. Yeah, yeah, Debbie is like they're jealous of that. And it's like, oh, I wish that could happen to me. Or like actually um, Roger's way of rationalizing it is, oh, if if Michael can get that, that means I'm next in line. Yeah. I'm next. Yeah. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. Like, <laughs> like yeah. yeah. Roger has some good lines in, in yeah. the movie. Um, yeah. So I, I did pull a couple pull quotes from right. the movie. So the first one I was I just want to play, it's the scene where they're all in, I think it's Michael's like garage attic, and they discover the letter, and they want it to be Debbie. And they're talking about, um, well, technically she's never rejected him right. and then there's this this clip okay here we go has she ever turned him down for a date nope no and you want to know why no <laughs> <laughs> so there's just something about the group responding no right <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it's got to be adr or something right but uh, there's something about that that just always made made me laugh like that they didn't really care to know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, the the scenes where they're all together, um, yeah, there's just like a genuine like um, kind of camaraderie that you can sense mm-hmm. between all yeah. of them, you know? Um, yeah, it's youthful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think um, um, uh, the, yeah, a ahead. lot of them were like actually not that far removed from being teens at that time too. So, yeah. Yeah, I looked up the ages. C. Thomas Howell in 85 was 19. Oh, there you go. Um, Lori Laughlin was 21 and Kelly Preston 23. Damn, yeah, so, I didn't realize they were older. <laughs> yeah, so but like yeah, but like not that far, you know. It's like it's like when when I think about 23-year-olds now, it's like god, they look so young. Right. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I do wonder if the rest how old the rest of that crew was. Like right. they probably were just yeah late teens um mm-hmm. so they um they crash the uh the frat party that <laughs> kelly preston so she's dating a college guy named steve uh and uh he's like a t- total muscle head right wants to fight everybody um and so they're at this party and roger like <laughs> like figures out a way to get Steve to go out um, and uh, to go like investigate someone breaking into his car, which is a lie, <laughs> which then allows Michael to then flirt with, uh, with Debbie. Right. And man, like when you see Kelly Preston in mm-hmm. that scene, like I think it gets highlighted even like if you watch like a random clip on YouTube, like mm-hmm. that dress that she's wearing. Stunning. Yeah. yeah. She, she's a total babe, had a huge, crush on her in this movie yeah. i mean really both her and laurie laughlin are just yeah. like so crushable um yeah and they and they it, it really makes really makes the movie just you know they're all so m- memorable and good right um and then uh yeah so roger comes back and th- he says another line which i'm going to play here which is th- this is a line i've been saying to people since I've seen this movie, and it's a line I don't think actually makes sense, but I, I kind of want to get y- your thoughts. Here we go. One more crack out of you, Weisenheimer, on a butt of your necktie. <laughs> All right. 
So oh, I've been saying that because like, I just think it's funny to, to, to say I'm going to butter your necktie. Um, <laughs> and I finally Googled it. Okay. And it turns out this is, it's a line from a 1950s movie starring uh, James Stewart uh, okay. called Harvey. Oh, yeah, where he imagines the rabbit. Yeah, he imagines yeah. the rabbit. And I guess mm-hmm. they're, they're in a bar and the bartender, and the, there's like a fight that almost breaks out. And the bartender says that to this patron. He mm-hmm. says, another crack. Uh, yeah, another crack out of you, Weisenheimer. I'm going to butter your necktie. Oh, it includes the Weisenheimer. Yeah. Wow. So it's okay. just like, so I'm so, I think maybe it's a somewhat famous phrase. And at the time, it was. And Roger, it's maybe part of Roger's character development. It's like mm-hmm. he's a kind of guy who likes old movies. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting detail that I didn't even realize. Like, yeah. That's not even in the IMDb uh, like trivia. Like that should be. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I think I I think it's yeah, it's just yeah, like it doesn't make sense. But if for some reason it always just stood out to me, and if I had to try to break it down, like why is that a threatening th- thing, mm. buttering someone's necktie? I think it's because it's like in the old days, maybe when you would fight, you would grab someone's necktie, and if mm. you're buttering it, it's like you're moving your arm up and down it to. To maybe punch them or something. I don't know. <laughs> or just like making a mess, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Making a mess of your clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. So having butter right. on it. Um. But yeah, right. I mean, Weisenheimer, man, that's like Point Dexter. Like you never hear that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Weisenheimer. I like that. <laughs> um, man. So, yeah. Okay. So at this point in the movie, are you. Are you in? Are you kind of like, or are you kind of like, I don't know about this film? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I already mentioned just seeing Kelly Preston in that dress. I was, oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're like, okay, away. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just crazy doing a little research about it, too, that um, I, I she wasn't even the first choice for that character. Oh. Um, yeah. They had cast somebody else. I can't remember the name of the, the previous actress, but I guess the director was like... Um, uh, oh wait, no, I'm mixing it up with another movie that came out in 1985, which I'll bring up later on. Sorry. Okay. Good. Um, I I mixed up my n- notes. Uh, yeah, it's crazy that Kelly Preston was in two movies in 1985. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll bring. What it up was later. the other one? Uh, it's it's called Mischief, and I'll, oh. I'll get into it towards the end of our discussion. Okay. Okay. Cool. This. Um, All right. Good. But yeah, that yeah. that was actually the movie where she wasn't the first choice, and then they they uh, recast it with her which is just incredible but uh mm-hmm. but yeah i mean uh, you know sometimes i think with casting in movies like that can do a lot of the heavy lifting so it can make up for a lot of flaws like if i am like relating to that like i believe that kelly preston is the prettiest girl in that school you know right and yeah. uh i i obviously have I've, I've fallen for like the prettiest girl in school and i know how how um, there's so many obstacles to that, and that can be a movie in itself uh, of just focusing on that. But um, yeah, so I I could relate to that aspect of it. I mean, I I never had a group of friends the same way Michael does, but um, but yeah, I I was in it. You know, like it, it definitely like cool. I one of my notes actually I put was like how comforting 
80 the 80s world is you know mm -hmm. and i was thinking like why isn't there a theme park that's 80s themed like right. <laughs> you know we're, well, yeah like like yeah like what did you find comforting i'm wondering um it's just that you know that that simpler time you know it's weird to to be saying that but it's just like the the no cell phones like i was laughing at the idea that there was a payphone in the frat house you know right. Uh, no social media, you know, and I mean that that's also why like I think it would be difficult to remake this movie in modern times uh because mm -hmm. of of the existence of social media and Google and you can just look yeah. things up like that that whole thing of even just writing letters like who even writes a letter like hand writes mm -hmm. a letter anymore, you know um yeah, and it for it to be like completely anonymous like it almost feels like now that's like something from like renaissance times you know like it, it totally. feels like it's it's a story like yeah. that and you know just going back to the cast like you know as like it, it moves forward and it's revealed who else is in it like once fred ward came on i was just like yeah i'm i'm hooked like i love fred nice. ward you know like i yeah. i think this this is definitely in my top 10 like fred ward nice. performances so yeah yeah it's really good yeah it's, it's funny like you mentioned like older you know, or like the renaissance is this I mean I don't know the story of Cyrano de Bergerac that well. Yeah. But there's a there's a little there's a little twinge of it in this movie sure. with like so essentially at some point Lori Laughlin who's the better writer yep starts to ghost write for Michael his letters to Kelly Preston. Right. And that's kind of like in that twinge, right? Where isn't it? Yeah. Isn't no. Cyr Cyr yeah. 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 That is Cyrano de Bergerac for sure. Um, yeah. the, the only difference, I guess, which is like a minor detail is that in Cyrano, um, like, uh, the, the person he's, he's ghostwriting for knows that mm -hmm. Cyrano is doing that, you know, and that becomes part of the conflict. Whereas right. in, in this one, obviously C. Thomas Howell thinks that Kelly Preston is getting, uh, his letters that he wrote, which are terrible, you know, and I, yeah. I love those little moments in the movies. Some of my favorites, like where Laurie Laughlin is like, you know, basically she's by a steaming <laughs> like a uh, pot, like on the stove, because, you know, mm -hmm. it implies that she opened the, the envelope mm -hmm. from the seal and read it. And she's like, Oh, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like her reactions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. She, she, she's really funny in this. Um, yeah. She, she has a couple of moments. There's another line read that I just I just want to play sure. from the next scene. So in the next scene, um, after they raid the frat house and they get kicked out and they get chased out and they crash the car, Michael goes and meets up with Lori. He like knocks on her window and they go to a park and they're talking. And the way he says larynx in this next scene, I'll, I'll never forget it. Here you go. Here's the next clip. I mean, I could be at the hospital having Steve's fist removed from my larynx. <laughs> so I've been saying I've been saying it like that again, you know, just for just for the comic aspect of it, larynx. Yeah, I don't think that's how you actually say it. No, um, I, I don't know. Like, do you know the the correct? I think it's larynx, and and I think that this is from me just watching a lot of like serial killer documentaries and uh, movies and uh, also like medical shows like I, that's how I've heard it is um, larynx 
Larynx. Larynx. Okay. Yeah, larynx. That's funny because, yeah. like, yeah, yeah cor- uh, just larynx. looking it up online, it says the pronunciation is larynx. Yeah, larynx. But I like I like larynx. Larynx. I like that a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So larynx is what I've heard. Um, cool. So yeah. I think speaking to like the comfortability of the '80s, something that I find really comforting in this movie is there is the friendship between Michael and. Um, Tony, who's who's Lori Laughlin's character, how yeah. they like go to each other's houses and knock on the windows and like, you know, are able to sneak out and go somewhere and hang out at a park and or like, right. you know, even you know when they go to the, to that makeout lane area, which seems very dated. I don't really know if there's any real makeout lanes anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, where is that overlook that they go to? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah. I mean, it, we could just like talk about briefly the setting of the movie. Like it's not very clear. I mean, it's obviously LA, but like, you know, the the movie ends in in the the San dock. Pedro. Yeah, in San Pedro, but it's obviously not set there. It's like more set like I could see foothills like the, you know, the mountains in the background, so it, mm-hmm. it could be in the valley. Um it could be yeah. in San Fernando Valley, it could be it could be like Pico Rivera or something. It's like like I, or, I don't know. Just or yeah, I, or um yeah, Foothill like Azusa, you know Azusa like, yeah, sure. Long Foothill where it could be set there too. Yeah. Rancho Cook or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, totally. San Gabriel Valley, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, it's unclear where it's set, but there's something comfortable about seeing them e- easily get around, you know. Right. They have they have enough cars. Um, and yeah, and it's, um, it's cute. And I think it's after this scene that you start to get some of the first mix-ups and the mix-ups is a key part of what makes this movie good and interesting. Right. Is that they're, um, they're clever enough that you, you can see what's happening, but they're not so complicated that I'm never like, wait, who knows what does she know what's going on? And you know, right. Um, so like that's something that's like actually pretty well done, I think, by the director and the editor, um, David Greenwalt was the director. Yeah, it, it's um, fascinating because like I I was trying to look at like what else he's done, and it's mm-hmm. just this was his his debut, and oh. then he made like one more movie. Uh, what is it? Um, Rude Awakening, and then uh-huh. um, he just did TV for the rest of his career. Oh wow! <laughs> like, yeah, okay. that that's what happened. It was just like. I guess yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get into it, but 1985 was just so stacked, and I think this movie yeah. got buried under yeah. all those movies. Um, so it, it's a shame yeah. because yeah, it, I think it, it does deserve some love, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and it's written by Jim Koof, too, um, who also just basically ended up in TV, but he did do a couple of like significant movies. Like he he wrote um, Stakeout. And another stakeout, mm-hmm. which I both enjoyed both of those movies. Um, and then he wrote Rush oh. Hour. Uh, the oh, Jackie Chan. Where you go, Chan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. The Stucker vehicle, yeah. Sweet. So, yeah. Hey, man. Do you, do you understand the words that are coming no. out of my mouth? <laughs> Don't you ever touch a black man's stereo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bitch of boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. I think around here, you start to see Corey Haim starts to, you know, there's a, a motif of him stealing money from Michael's desk and wallet, which is kind of fun. Um, but um, you, yeah, so the first mix-up happens, I think, in the next morning. So I think Michael has a letter. Um, 
he has the original l- letter that he received. Oh, oh no! And maybe his brother actually took it from his desk and brought it down to dinner or to breakfast. Yeah. And then the brother Corey Haim doesn't want his mom to see he's reading it, so he puts it in a book on the table. And we see the dad take the book because, and and it's the information you get is that the dad um, takes a a class at night. Yeah, he he goes to night school. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's a weird little detail, right? But I think before the letter gets in the book, maybe the mom. Oh no, the mom first takes the book from Corey Haim, reads it, Mm -hmm. assumes it's from. It's the dad's letter, and, and I think puts it back in the book or, or something. So the, the so the mom's played by D. Wallace now thinks the dad has a, this secret admirer letter, and she's now suspicious and w- worried about him. Right. And that's all handled really funny. Like it leads to like a scene where she where she pretends like she's mad at the mailman, and then Michael like yells at the mailman. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then I think we get to the night class, and the night class. I do want to just talk about how funny Michael's dad is. The actor's name is Cliff DeYoung, who's right. playing George, and he's doing all this like really funny like st- stare acting <laughs> at um, the teacher, who is um, actually the mom of um, Kelly Preston's character. So he thinks the letter is from her because she like asked for the book like when he was like walking into the classroom. So he thinks she put the letter in there. He's reading it and he's thinking, oh, wow, she's really she, – she wants to date me. Um, I don't know. It just, again, just I think going back to what you were saying at the beginning, there's something so funny about the adults. And yeah. they really do a good job of like – changing this from just being a high school uh comedy yeah and that that's what i'm saying it's just it really gives it uh like uh an edge over other teen comedies because it has this element and that they they cast great actors you know to be the parents they're not just like um you know some uh random character actor like you know it's fred ward and you know you, you mentioned cliff de young he's he's been in a bunch of movies oh yeah. you know uh always like uh as just kind of a side character but you know he gets a chance to shine here and um uh and yeah it's just that misunderstanding that happens with um debbie's mom where she's like saying these things and he's reading into it, you know, because of how it's enforced by the love letter, you know? Um, yeah. And well, yeah. Like she, like she's talking about how, yeah, you really just have to go for it and, and you really have to take risk, but it's really going to pay off. Right. And and she's talking about economics. Right. And, and he thinks she's talking about uh, having an affair. Um, it kind of reminded me of Beavis and Butthead actually, because I, um, <laughs> yeah, that misunderstanding. I because like Beavis and Butthead, yeah, the whole jumping off point is they're 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 talking about um, hooking up with Serena, the astro, uh, the um, you know the uh, yeah the astronaut, right. but she thinks they're talking about docking, like the actual <laughs> yeah. uh, like how to dock those two things, like on the space right. sh- shuttle or whatever. So yeah, um, good classic mix up. Um, and then I think after that you get some more good high school stuff. You get Tony 
beating up Roger's van. Um, I like how. Oh yeah, the drive-through scene. <laughs> yeah, I like how instead of um, saying, "Hey, I heard you slept with him," or "I heard you, you, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you had sex with him," the terminology they use in the movie is, I think, "bop." Yeah. Or you, or boff like yeah. like a Roger boff. said yeah. you 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 boffed his brains out or yeah. something like that in his van <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah so she shows up um destroys his van that's a really funny scene in the burger joint his friends are all making fun of Roger and then I think she goes home and she kind of like turns. She pres- presses play on the stereo. And, like it sounds like she's playing video game songs, mm. like the like the eighties. Like the just it's, it's supposed to be just like generic eighties music that she puts on like her radio when she comes home. But it, I swear it sounds like D- Double Dragon or something. <laughs> I, I, um, I forgot about that detail. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you and then you pretty quickly get to the second mix up. So I, I think by this point, um. Uh, Tony has successfully rewritten Michael's letter and given it to Debbie. Um, but the letter, I think, ends up in the mom's purse. Right. Um, and Fred Ward, who, who's who's a cop, just like and just like has some some of the funniest lines. <laughs> um, he decides to like try to steal some money from his wife's purse. I think. Right. And. Um, finds the letter. So now he thinks she's having an affair um, and, and starts to like investigate her and like sort of like follow her around yeah. essentially. Um, and, uh, but also Kelly Preston, uh, she is now interested in meeting whoever is writing these letters and, she, and um, Lori Laughlin negotiates a meetup and they decided to meet up in a park at night. Um, I don't know. Did you have any, like, like was your radar like going off? Like, at, at this Oh yeah. Point? I mean, I don't know if the eighties was a different time, but you know, uh, <laughs> I, I guess this is just a weird thing in terms of like what I've been watching recently, but you know, it was California and mm. you know, I, I found out that basically, um, California has the most like serial killers of all the states. Oh yeah, throughout dude. history, it's you a... know. Um, so and, and like yeah, when was the Night Stalker popping off? Um, yeah, I think it w- he was in the eighties. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Richard Ramirez. Yeah, like so, and yeah, I mean, if he was active in eighty five, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just like um, that's probably not a oh, good yeah. idea. Just yeah, he was well, out. Well, I, actually, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, maybe a park is like the safest spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if you've looked into those uh, Night Stalker crimes, he didn't care. Like, it was out in public. Like, he was, you know, I mean, oh, sure. eventually was why he got caught because, you know, the, basically people like ganged up on him when they saw him right. trying to commit a crime. But yeah, that was, yeah, that was peak time. Like, I think he started in 84. Um, so he was, he was, yeah, Night Stalker was out then. But right. even so, more yeah. crazier, I feel, is that. She agrees to the meeting without knowing who it is. It's like a complete yeah. like blind date, but I guess the power of the words were so strong that it's like <laughs> enough for her to like just throw caution to the wind and be like, Yeah, I'm gonna gonna show up here. And I guess I guess she trusted Tony. You know, Tony's mm-hmm. one of her friends, so she I don't think Tony would like 
yeah. you know, send her off yeah. to like a serial killer. So yeah, yeah, and it and it kind of speaks to an idea. Like I don't know how ac- I don't know how realistic this idea is, but I've heard this talked about. Um, I think actually through uh, the girls on Red Scare. I think you're familiar yes, with the Red yeah. Scare mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah, I've heard them talk about this idea that like, and and again, you know, that this is just like kind of a, a general trope that um, men are attracted to to women, but women are attracted to the picture of the man being attracted to the woman. Okay. So that's kind of like, you know, just a, I guess, a psychological analysis of like, of just the way, you know, in, in, in I guess, in um, heterosexual relationships, the, the way that, the way that things work out between men and women. Gotcha. And so in a way it's like, you can kind of see, okay, if someone is in love with Kelly Preston's character with Debbie, you can kind of see that like, she's attracted to this picture of a guy who's so in love with her. He'd write a letter like that. Right. And, and she'd be willing to throw Steve aside, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, it is implied to, and I guess as the, the movie progresses, you kind of learn more about that, how vain she is, you know, <laughs> yeah. that she's really full of herself and, you know, um, uh, there's, uh, I I guess that's their first date, but like the second date when they go, which is uh, talking about settings too. That's another one that I really like. That kind of restaurant bar pool hall that they hang out at. Yeah. I love that location. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah, and, and I feel like it's used a lot in movies. It feels like the Max, you know, bringing it back to uh, um, say by the Bell. But yeah, but it, but mm-hmm. it, but it, but it's like at night. It's like it's smoky, and you, they can order pizza and spaghetti. It's like it's like non-alcoholic, <laughs> right? But it's like everyone's hanging out, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Bring that back, man. Like, why doesn't that exist anymore? I know. Yeah. Well, I think everyone just hangs out online now. Oh, um, you know, or yeah. you know, yeah. Like, there's just not a place like that. I don't think they can make enough money. Right. Um, oh but, man, yeah. that just reminds me, dude. There's like, um. You know, in uh, in Whittier, like one of my favorite cities in in LA County. Um, so along uptown Whittier, there's the main strip, which is uh, Greenleaf Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah. There was a restaurant there that still looked like a 1950s diner, and it didn't survive the pandemic. It didn't make it. Like oh, it, yeah, they closed man. down, and I was so sad because it was like, man, this that it had that vibe. You know, you had the yeah. booths, you know, it was a big restaurant too. Yeah. Like it was a corner lot. So you could, and the, mm-hmm. the windows were so huge. Like it was almost like floor to ceiling windows. So yeah. you could like see right into it from the street. And yeah. I'm like sad that I didn't take photos of it when it was still around, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that just reminded me of that, man. Yeah. But bring yeah. those back. Bring back the non-alcoholic teen hangout places. Teen hangout <laughs> diner yeah. where you can order both a pizza, a mm-hmm. sandwich, and uh, yeah, spaghetti or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, and I think that yeah. there needs to be an age limit for that, but like upwards. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like yeah. nobody over like twenty-one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that should be the yeah. rule for a place yeah, like that. Be a cap. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, all these scenes are are really fun. Um, I like, there's a scene where she's, uh, Kelly Preston's asking Michael about some of the lines from his letter 
And she's like, what did you mean about g- that I've given you the greatest gift of... of and and he, he basically just like makes up... Uh, well, naturally, I'm re- I was referring to just the, the, the whole of concept giving. of giving, you know, the, the giving concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, you know, when you're you're asked to write an essay and you're just like blowing it out of your ass. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. <laughs> so oh, funny. man. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, the, the whole like section of, of them like dating, like um, the um, yeah, the. It, I love that it's not linear. Like, it's not just like an upward trajectory. It's like it undulates, you know. There's ups and downs because obviously there's this, this um, like, conflict now with, like, his idealism of Debbie. And then, you know, he's, he's faced with the reality that, oh, she's kind of annoying and a little vain, you know, and, mm-hmm. like, only likes to talk about herself. Um, and do yeah. I even have anything in common with this girl? But man, she's so hot. And like, yeah. you know, where it picks up again, you know, we talked about the date that's kind of a disaster where, um, uh, they, they go to that, that hangout place, the pool hall bar and, um, she spills spaghetti on her new pants, you know? Right. And, um, and then, you know, she ends up in the bathroom and like, that's it, a funny scene where, he he's wondering when she's gonna come out and ask like somebody who's coming out like oh is there like he describes Debbie yeah and then you hear her scream off <laughs> yeah off screen and it's like oh yeah. okay she's still there oh, and, yeah. yeah 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 and like you know he's starting to, to see hey this isn't maybe as fun as I thought mm. um but I think it's it's I guess on the second date well it, it, it might be. Or and actually, it might be after they leave the pizza place. Mm-hmm. Does Michael? He might drive her to that makeout lane place, and she's like into it. Um, I think that was a different date. Yeah, okay. because um, okay. Uh, I mean, this is what I wanted to ask you too, Steve. Like, when did you see it outside of Comedy Central? Because obviously, when it was on Comedy Central, it was censored. You know, <laughs> they wouldn't have never shown that scene that earns it its R rating. Um, right. At the um at that Overlook where they go yeah um god uh i don't know i don't know when i probably saw it uncensored maybe if i feel like i did like maybe they aired it uncensored if if they played it late enough on comedy central oh wow okay um i kind of but yeah i don't know but yeah i think so i think you're referring to there you know she uh De- Deborah Ann Fimple gets topless in the car, right? And yeah. it's it's quite memorable. You're like, holy shit, it yeah. happened, <laughs> man! Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, Kelly Preston just looked amazing. I mean, the the thing is sure. too that um, over the years, like Kelly Preston still looked great. Like you know, even well into her fifties, she looked oh, amazing. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it, it is one of the great mysteries to me why she didn't become a bigger star. Like, right. cause she she clearly is talented too. Like, she's a um, the, I I think she could have easily just played this character as very one note, um, as just mm-hmm. like this kind of um object of desire. But uh, I think she gives the the character sufficient sufficient depth. And I mean, just also tracking back a little bit, one of my favorite moments too is like the lead up to the drive to the mm-hmm. the um the lookout where she starts kissing him and then it makes mm-hmm. him like swerve. <laughs> just like that that yeah. little detail. Like that was a really yeah. funny moment. Totally. Um, 
Yeah, he's so excited. Yeah, you, you could really f- feel it. And um, but then yeah, it's at this lookout point that you get some of the, of the really good scenes of Fred Ward. Yes. So yeah. essentially, by this point, um, uh, not for, uh, Fred Ward's wife, who's I think the name is Elizabeth. Elizabeth and George Ryan, who's C. Thomas Howell's dad, they now think each other is in love with each other. And so they're now actually starting to like flirt with the idea of having an affair. Right. And they end up at this makeout or at this lookout point also. And Fred Ward has followed them. And so he goes to um, see Thomas Howells's family house to let D Wallace know. Right. And, and then they're going to drive back and, and catch their cheating uh, spouses in the act. Yeah. And m- meanwhile, C. Thomas Howell and Kelly Preston are just making out and having a great time in, yeah. in the car. Um, but yeah, Fred, but Fred Ward's anger and D Wallace's upset is so good. And yeah. so funny <laughs> through all the, through the, and like, I wish there was more scenes of them together. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. They had great chemistry, you know? Um, and, and, you know, just tying it up to another movie that kind of came a much later and is a more serious art film uh mm. is a uh, in the mood for love which has a similar mm. premise you know it's about basically a couple who find out well these two people find out that their their significant others are having an affair with each other so they kind of get involved with each other but not really like they never consummate it like it's just this mm-hmm. kind of weird tension and i yeah. i was getting that vibe strangely enough mm. from this movie because i mean the beauty of it is just um the complete irony that you know when they uh when uh michael and debbie's um parents like the uh michael's dad and debbie's mom go to the lookout all they can do is talk about how great their spouses are (laughs) you know but in a way that's like it's got like a sense of regret like the way that they play it is really good Mm -hmm. because it's just like yeah "Yeah, you know uh, my you know they're mentioning the by this is another weird thing I notice about the movie is that characters mention each other by name a lot. In, yeah, in the film, like you know, even though they're they're very familiar with the, with each other, Tony continues to refer to Michael as Michael. Yeah, <laughs> um, so you totally. you never forget their names, even though you know we have been referring to the actors playing them, but their names are repeated a lot it's very clear Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) yeah um but yeah so they they realize that it's it's a bad idea i mean this is actually such a key sequence for me in the entire film of because of just like how it pays off and um you know the sacrifice that tony makes so do you want to get into that oh yes okay so so at, at 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 some point steve shows up i guess maybe he found out that um that uh debbie is cheating on him or she stood him up for something i don't know but he just he decides he's gonna crash um the lookout and check every single car (laughs) to see where debbie is oh hey steve and he's like going car to car he's throwing people around and tony who has decided to go and hang out at the lookout just to kind of vibe out um uh, alone sees this and decides to save Michael yeah. by propositioning herself to Steve. Yeah. Um, and I like, I, this is a scene that I forgot mm. 
And this was the the one scene that I was the most like, oh, this doesn't, this is maybe the the most troubling scene. Yeah. Even more than showing up at the park at night alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was definitely uncomfortable um, with just this and then leading up to, to um, Steve, like, taking her home. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. What did you think about this? Well, I, you know, I... I I thought it was a little contrived, you know, I mean, but mm-hmm. I, that is so much of the movie, though. Like, it, it is like everything has <laughs> yeah. to fall into place for for uh, things to be set in motion. But, um, you know, when she intrudes I, in that sacrifice that she makes um, for Michael, uh, just so, you know, he doesn't get the shit kicked out of him and also, you know, ruin mm-hmm. his good time. Even though I think there would have been, uh, like, you know, uh, uh a point of interest for her, you know, that would work out for her because it's like, oh, things fall apart between her and uh, w- between uh, Debbie and Michael, then, you know, it it opens the door for her. And, mm-hmm. um, but no, she, she decides to, you know, sacrifice uh, that in order to, to save her friend. And when they go back, like, yeah, the, the part that really made me uncomfortable was that, oh man, is, is it really going to go through with it? You know, like it yeah. gives you that sense of oh my god, like she's actually gonna sacrifice herself to that point, like to. And is it implied that she's also a virgin? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think some somewhere it comes out that Michael is. Yeah, right. Um, and um, I think yeah, I think maybe yeah, I think earlier in the in the movie when when, when they were hanging out at the park. They tell each other that they're both virgins, and, and they're both surprised by it. Oh, right, right. Because th- they had both heard stories about them sleeping with people. Yeah, and that that leads to the drive-through scene of her, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. attacking Roger. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so yeah, you're right. It does. It feels very uncomfortable, and so it, it is very relieving that one she sneaks out and gets out of there. But then two, also you see Steve regretting it and right. saying hey i don't think we should do this and and i think this is yeah that part was so brilliant i think in terms of writing because you know first of all it gives steve more depth he's not just like mm-hmm. that jock bully antagonist yeah you know that he has mm-hmm. a conscience too and you know i'm glad that they were able to get out of it both like with his realization and her actually physically like leaving through the bathroom window um but yeah, it could have it could have gotten really uncomfortable and disastrous. And you know, I I think also uh, because the the movie does have a light tone through most of it, like that would have definitely kind of I think sucked the air out of it if, if yeah. that went through. You know, but I'm glad they did. So you know, uh, kudos to the director and the the screenwriter for uh, totally yeah going that direction. Yeah, they they did they did well. There. Yeah. Oh, by the um, way, uh, just a little detail before I forget. Yeah. You know what Steve's last name is? <laughs> oh, I, d- I do. It's uh, Powers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steve Powers, man. Which is like, like um, I wonder if he's related to Screech Powers. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. The Saved by the Bell tie-in. And yeah. then um, uh, just even like, it, it's funny, you know, because your, your name is obviously Steve. Yeah. And like... There's so many like different characters through like movies and TV shows named Steve, and they're usually like kind of ju- uh, douchey, kind of dorky characters. Jocks. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah I did like, like that yeah I did like that this was like Steve was like the tough jock that's that, right. that's very atypical like you haven't seen yeah. that since like Steve uh McQueen kind of where, where right where there's like a cool Steve yeah. yeah or like I think of um Steve Holt in the uh, in Arrested Development oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he's great Steve uh, Holt yeah uh yeah Steve Powers yeah I wonder yeah because mm. you know I've just been going by Steve, you know, in in the pod. I wonder if I, if if my official pod name should be Steve Powers. That's pretty yeah, good. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, I like it. I I was yeah. I was liking the idea of Steve Matrix, but uh, yeah, Steve yeah. Powers is good. <laughs> Steve too. Powers is better. Okay, yeah, cool. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the makeout sessions and everyone kind of goes home. Um, they uh, um, luckily, uh, George Ryan and Elizabeth. Fimple are able to leave the lookout before Fred Ward and D Wallace find them. Right. So Fred Ward is pissed. And so there's an, I I only, I only have one more clip to play. It's from when, um, after Michael drops off Debbie at home and they're feeling great. And then Fred Ward shows up. And so, oh my god, I think I know this one. There's a quick scene between C. Thomas Howell and Fred Ward. Here we go. Good evening, Mr. Fimple. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, classic. Oh, man. Yes. The way he delivers it, too. So spicy. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good. Um, Just for, yeah, like I, I recommend everyone just see this movie just for these scenes. Oh, and by the way, this movie is on YouTube. So it's there's right. no excuse if you want to watch it, you can see the whole thing. It's yeah, really awesome. It's a little grainy, but it's you know it's it's eighty five. It's fine. Yeah, and I mean I think uh, there's there's a slightly better copy if you don't mind like looking uh, watching it with ads. I mean there, it's also on Tubi. Oh, good. Which uh, you know I'm a big fan of that that platform. Yeah. Like I actually think Tubi is better than Netflix. Yeah. You know their library is just far more expansive. Yeah. So yeah, that's big time. Yeah. Um. All right, so now we're starting to get to, I think the big, fin- we're starting to head towards, you know, the crescendo where, so at this point, Debbie knows um, that C. Thomas Howell's birthday is coming up. And so she gets the idea of like, give of having sex with him on his birthday. Yeah, that's her gift. Which is like very narcissistic, but also, you know, Put your eyes, you know, you, you know, if you go back to, the, you know, the days when you were a virgin, like being able to make out with the hottest girl in school and, you know, see her boobs and all this kind of stuff like that would be that would be like quite a gift. Like it's the gift that sure. the, the Beavis and Butthead have been going <laughs> after for two movies right. now. Yeah. And apparently like in different uh, multiverses, yeah. <laughs> they don't get it. <laughs> yeah, only w- the smart Beavis and Butthead yeah. can finally score. Yeah, and so here's yeah. our guy Michael Ryan on the verge. Um, right. But meanwhile, like, and like he's just unaware that how much Lori Laughlin is like sacrificing. You know, like she was, she yeah, she basically just like was like down to like help him while he made out with this girl, and you know, God knows what else while she's in love with them and right um, and i mean the, yeah. the that's the other detail that the party is happening at her house yeah yeah and it wasn't even her like choice like they uh like i think kelly preston like uh volunteered it yeah she was like, because oh, her parents yeah, are out of town have... or something yeah right yeah yeah 
and then you know in a weird kind of freudian way the tie with cowards it's like uh they they end up having sex in um uh, uh tony's parents room yeah and <laughs> the sex scene is really funny like um so essentially they're trying to get it cracking uh missionary style yeah and it's unclear what's happening but whatever is happening it's very painful for Kelly Preston mm-hmm. and she's very annoyed yeah. at mm-hmm. C. Thomas Howell. And he's very like, he's he wants it to happen, but you can also right. tell he eventually gets exasperated and quits. Like he just finally mm-hmm. had enough with her, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. And I remember watching this as a young guy and kind of being confused like as to what was happening. What's happening, yeah, exactly. I, I remember because being I- yeah, like oh, is yeah. like is sex this thing where I, it could be painful and and I could right. do it wrong? I don't want to do it wrong. All these <laughs> kinds of thoughts, you know. Yeah, yeah, because the scene is is completely played from like the chest up. Like you don't see what's going on down there. So yeah, exactly. You know, you, it's all it, it's all in the imagination. It's all like, in the imagination. Yeah. And then I right. I remember at some point, maybe the fifth or sixth time I'm, I'm watching this on Comedy Central, my sister is watching it with me, mm. and she yeah. sees this scene and she's like. Oh, there's something wrong with her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I was like, I was like, what? Yeah. And, and she kind of like, she didn't really explain it, but she's like, oh yeah, no, yeah, like, don't don't worry about it. Sex, like, it it, it it's not gonna hurt. <laughs> and, and, and so yeah, I was like, and so that that was a little like relieving to hear. I was like, okay, right, All right. yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, this is the other thing too. Again, uh, you know, I I hate to use that adjective to describe this, but I found it refreshing. Mm. Um, was because you know, especially in the '80s, you know, where it was so gaudy, like you know, the way sex scenes are done, yeah. like like music videos, where you know, you got the the sheets, like the transparent sheets, flying around, and like. You know, everybody's just like doing it so well, like it's balletic and totally. choreographed, and like to ha- to see a sex scene like this, which has like hangups and you know it doesn't quite go right. Like to me, that's more you know uh, what is closer to what real sex is versus like the the stylized like uh, sex scenes that were abundant in the eighties, right. you know, and maybe even in the early nineties. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah, a really good so. point. It's yeah, it's not it's not um it's clearly they're clearly not trying to be a sex comedy too. Like they're not trying no. to be um um like uh, like a Porky's or a right. Revenge of the Nerds with with the nudity and this and the sex. It's very right. like I don't know. Um yeah, just more innocent, I guess in a way. But still playing yeah. with like with kind of classic eighties tropes, yeah. Because I mean, I love how it's like intercut with everybody else at the party, and they know what's going on upstairs, and they're just like kind of waiting around right. and probably wishing that it was them, right? And, like yeah. like American Pie would handle this different, essentially. Sure. Yeah, even though I I do think like in the first American Pie, like. Um, Especially the the Tara Reed sex scene, I think was was done very well. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, obviously, you have that like Stifler's mom thing. Like it, it's you know, it's offset with other things. Yeah. And the know. Kelly Preston character would be more like the Shannon Elizabeth character. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, that makes sense um, for sure. But then he also so while this party's happening, I think at the same time the parents are at a bridge party. Where the yeah. parents are all to get together playing bridge, and it's in this scene 
that you get some really good tension when all the parents finally are at the like the same table together. Right. The winner's table. The winner's table. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and um they're like nervous. And I think it's the I think it's George. I think it's uh see Thomas Howell's dad. He um he starts to eat some of the hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. And he says, he, I think he, the line he says is, oh, you've really outdone yourself. And he's, he, he means to say, you've really outdone yourself with these hors d'oeuvres. But he says, you've really outdone yourself with on these affairs. Yeah. And that causes D. Wallace to start screaming and crying. And Fred right. Ward's like, you son of a bitch. And just like all out brawl. Yeah, it like becomes a food fight. Yeah. And, like, it's a wild scene. It's like, a it's wild just, fight. It's yeah, the kind it's, of fight you would see in the high school party. Right. Yeah, and again contrasting the the adults with the with the teens mm-hmm. that it, it just goes to show it's like the you know, they're letting their emotions get the better of them. Yeah. But there's this like idea that they have to present themselves as like more civilized, but obviously they're not, you know, it's just like it, it you know, at the end of the day they're still just like lusting after each other and and you know letting anger take over um but yeah it's such a well done scene i definitely like had to note that down you know because i was like man this is yeah yeah something else it's a good fight um yeah and then there's another shot at the back at tony's house that i really like i think it's after the party you know michael and um debbie have left and and tony's just kind of hanging out she's feeling somber just everything that's happened and... Oh, okay, yeah. Let's let's not forget this detail, though. I, I sorry to interject, but yeah, go ahead. They yeah, so um, they they fail at having sex, like um, Debbie mm-hmm. and and Michael. But Debbie basically tells Michael, like, you gotta make it look like we had like the greatest night of our lives, you right. know, like when we come down. So it, they they're they projecting this appearance, and I th- don't quite remember like how they celebrate, like the the friend group when they come down the stairs. Right. Like there's some sort of like celebration. I don't know if they clap or something. Yeah, I'm, slow I'm, clap I'm or like, something. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like that. But they're like cheering them on or something yeah. because they, they finally did it. Um, but yeah, that, that whole thing. And just like, you know, the disappointment between that, cause you can see it on Michael's face mm-hmm. of just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretending, but what I thought like, you know, was like my dream my ideal it wasn't what it was you know it exactly was disappointing you know yeah sad and yeah. um so tony she um you know she's sad i think she's sitting on the stairs like next to the banister and she takes yeah. a shot and then she puts the cup on the banister and then lets the cup slide down down the uh, <laughs> the banister yeah it's just like a detail. little detail that just like i don't know it's just like it it it, it added a lot um mm-hmm. At least for me, anyway, it's uh, it, yeah, it's a, a memorable m- moment there. But uh, yeah, so at, but at this point, she's done. She's dejected. I think she's ready just to get on that semester at or yeah. She's at some point she reveals that she's going to take the next year off and go do like a a whole year at sea. It's like school on mm-hmm. a boat or something. <laughs> yeah, and that's mentioned like early in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like they already like foreshadow it that she yeah. um yeah. So, so she, yeah, she's going to go leaving. on a school on the boat that leaves in the middle like in the leaves like like the end of June or something. Yeah. Um and so you get the big ending where Michael 
And so here's where things kind of happen a little fast. Right. Michael really quickly says, goes to Tony's house and kind of is like, hey, you know what? Things haven't worked out with Debbie. I, I kind of don't like her. And I kind of like you. I think we should give it a shot. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And so like that, that turn is a little fast. It's a little like... Um, right. Yeah, because it's like when he goes home, uh, he he comes in and his parents are fighting and they're reading the letter and he's like, what the hell? And this is oh, my favorite right. line of the movie and I was hoping you would have this the sound bite of this line where he's like, this is my letter. You know, I can't even trust my parents anymore in this line. I'm getting a guard dog in a bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll have so to good. pull that for, uh, yeah. for, for next week. Okay. Yeah, for That's sure. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there, yeah. Yeah. So there, he, yeah. There's some awesome, awesome lines in in the movie. Yeah. And then um, I think uh, yeah, there there is like a scene too where basically, um, he finally puts two and two together. I think because uh, he uh, he reads the letter that um, Debbie got. Like Debbie brings it up, and he's like, "I didn't write this." Yeah. You know, this isn't what I wrote. And then that's when he realizes, oh. The the intermediary was yeah. was behind it all along. Yeah, yeah. He, he compares the uh, handwriting, right? Um, and then so yeah, he. This is where it, this is where it enters full like Ferris Bueller kind of territory, right. which is another movie that has a lot of running at the end. Yeah, um, a lot of chases, race against time. Yeah, so everything. he now is like call. You know, he finds out that. Um, Tony's on her way to the port to get onto that boat that 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 school on a boat, and yeah. he takes off r- running after her. He's running top speed. It's really fun watching him run. Um, <laughs> and yeah. um, and then I think at, oh, wait, so when um after Debbie drops off that l- letter and she's like, "Where's the man who wrote this?" Um, she, yeah. you know, she ends up leaving really mad and kind of says, wait till Steve gets his hands on you. So mm-hmm. I think it's implied in, in the, in the time between then and this next scene, she tells Steve, Hey, this guy, Michael's an asshole. I want you to kick his ass. Right. So Steve tracks down Mike, j- parks the car. And Mike just like delivers just a perfect punch to his nose, breaks his nose, and then steals his car. <laughs> oh yeah, and this is a little piece of trivia that I heard that C. Thomas Howell like does like most of his stunts in the movie. Mm. And I wrote this down in my notes. Like that hop yeah. into Steve's car was like perfect. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, it was like over the windshield. Yeah. And like, man, perfect landing. Yeah. And yeah. like he he's able to start the car and make it go like so fast, right? Yeah, yeah. That part was that, that part's incredible. Yeah, and uh, you were talking about like how fast this whole sequence happens. Like I read that it's also kind of a tribute to the ending of the Graduate because like in the Graduate he also like uh, commandeers like uh, a red car oh. and then he's also asking for directions. But now you you know he's trying to prevent the wedding from happening, mm-hmm. so he's he's trying to look for the church where um. Uh, yeah, when he realizes the love of his life is, you know, getting married. <laughs> so it's, it, there, there was like kind of a callback to that, I think, with, yeah. with this movie. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, we, we get San Pedro and uh, mm-hmm. again, the, the ever present Vincent Thomas Bridge. 
You yeah. know, he races across it, which we brought up like several times it's now. It's a big in, theme. Yeah. It's a big theme we have show, for, yeah. for this first season of uh, of the pod. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, the uh, the school, it's called School Afloat. Yeah, School Afloat. And it's funny. Man. So uh, when he when he eventually gets to the port, you know, he does some really good driving around boxes and and, and, yeah. and pallets of wood and, and containers. And then he ends up like in parking the car, like slamming it into a container and then quickly jumping out of the car, <laughs> which I thought is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, did you think that the School Afloat looked a little tiny when she was like yeah, getting it's like, on where it? Yeah, it's yeah, there's a lot of people on that boat. Like, where are they going to stay? Like, I, yeah. I was imagining, like, when she first mentioned it, it would be like a cruise ship. Yeah. But it's like a sailboat, you know, that's basically meant for maybe five people max. Yeah. But there were at least, I would count, like a dozen people Yeah, on it's that like boat. an old-timey boat. It kind of runs right. like, yeah, something from, like, the little, like, yeah. like, like the boat that Ariel is swimming around with right. Prince Eric. Yeah. Yeah, and if if we're really going to be like nitpicky about it, like the 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 boat is running on a motor and like moving really fast, like there was just no way that he could still like continue to shout across from the dock to to Tony and they they be able to hear each other. Yeah, <laughs> and then he, you know, they they both like that's that's quite a distance to swim to like yeah. meet each other halfway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the same time, like I did find myself rooting for them to jump in. Like the whole, right. like, like you see him jump, and it's a pretty good jump off of that stack of yeah. wood into the water. Right. And then you're just like, "Come on, Tony, you gotta jump, you gotta jump!" And then finally, she jumps in. Yeah, um, and, and speaking of like a, a simpler time to, you know, this is a thing that just always goes through my head now when I see it in movies when people jump into water. I always think about cell phones. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, that's one of the things you have to consider now, you know. Yeah. It's like uh whenever you jump into water, you got to take your phone out and leave it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. I know it's like the only so. thing they had to worry about is I guess like their their money is is wet now or whatever, right. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, your IDs. Uh, I mean, yeah. um yeah, this is the thing too. It's like I still have yet to see that in a movie like somebody like taking out their phone before they jump into water. Like yeah. it's like, oh, it's just a given they don't have a phone on yeah. them. Yeah. Or if they did, like, you know, they didn't care that it was going to get wet. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's weird. So the movie gets to that point. They finally have a kiss. You know, they realize, like, mm-hmm. she's given up this whole thing, which her parents have probably paid for. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and she's like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to jump in the water and be with with, um, with Michael. And then, you know, they start kissing and then the credits start playing. I'm like, man, I would have liked to have stayed with that kiss a little more, you know? Like, the credits just come in way too hot, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, just stay with that kiss. Like, let us, you know, and the soundtrack playing. Like, let us just enjoy it for a little more instead of having the credits play over it right away, almost. Totally. Yeah. But, yeah, that's Secret Admirer. Secret Admirer, um, I... I found it to still be really funny. I was kind of yeah. surprised how much I still liked, and I think r- really kind of rediscovering the the um, the adults. The, yeah, the adults for sure. Really yeah. add a ton to this movie that would be a mm. little little thin without it. Right, and it, yeah, yeah. Again, it's it. I think that that's the a testament to the movies, like mm-hmm. um, 
longevity is the fact that you can enjoy it as a teen like i you know i, I think like late teens would enjoy this movie mm-hmm. but um you know when you see it as an adult you also have fresher eyes yeah with the film too so yeah. it, it gives you two experiences mm-hmm. you know and i love that yeah um, so um the, the uh I, I had a question i want to ask of like what did you think was the most di- um dated aspect of the movie so like you know there's like them calling sex bopping or boffing boffing yeah boffing there's the word, yeah. there's tony propositioning herself just the idea of a makeout lane mm-hmm. um meeting up at the park late at night debbie giving sex for a birthday gift and then um yeah i guess yeah i don't know i think those were the ones that stood out to me as being like the most dated. right yeah i mean for me the the thing is like with uh elements that are most dated like the problem like the conflict of interest with me is that i actually like those things you yeah know? so it, i can't really hold it against the movie like i love that it's of its time yeah you know it's clearly like this time capsule i mean you know we're 85 we're like smack in the middle of the 80s now like people have recovered from their 70s hangover and yeah this is it like you know it's it's new wave music and um you know, some uh, like uh, flashy clothes and maybe mm-hmm. questionable fashion sense, yeah. maybe even haircuts. I mean, you know, uh, I okay, I'll I'll, I'll choose that. Like uh, mm. Michael's haircut, the the, the mullet. Yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like a fashionable mullet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mullets uh, have not aged well at all. <laughs> that's so like, funny. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'd say. We'll probably aged the worst yeah. in this. Movie. I will note that. Um, Lori Laughlin and, and uh, Kelly Preston's hair is pretty good in the movie. Like yeah. it, you know, like oftentimes, you know, young women's hair in these kinds of movies like looks awful. Like later, but yeah, it's like poofy uh, it looks hairspray. Good. Yeah, yeah, but no, there's is good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, you know how like uh, Lori Laughlin's like daughter, who was you know obviously mm-hmm. part of that USC um, mm-hmm. controversy. That she was a parent. I I'd never seen her like on social media, but she was some sort of influencer. Mm. Seeing Laurie Laughlin in this film, like even though yeah, some people have may not. This is before their time now, mm-hmm. but we remember. Um, I made this connection, even though it's not true, that Laurie Laughlin's daughter was Lonely Girl Fifteen for some reason. Oh. <laughs> like I made this bizarre connection because yeah. there's some resemblance, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I was That's like, man, no. Yeah. But obviously, yeah, her daughter's way younger than that. Yeah. And I, yeah. Do people even still remember Lonely Girl 15? God, like, I, I barely re- remember that. Yeah. It's like, nobody talks about it anymore, but it was like one of the great, like early internet hoaxes, you know, that people fell for. They really thought like this was a real girl just doing vlogs yeah um but yeah i thought of that and then you know i mean let me ask you this steve have you ever had a secret admirer or been a secret admirer i've definitely had secret crushes that i think Uh never got brought to fruition but yeah i've never like actually written those letters or emails or whatever you might do oh in the modern day have you oh yes oh Oh, nice I feel like so much of like my my ideas of romance were informed by movies mm. <laughs> and rom coms and stuff. That's good. So I, I I bought into all of that, like the fairy tale and like the guy getting the girl. Right. So um, I've actually experienced it like through two perspectives be- because um well actually uh, I'll I'll say three 
because uh yeah i've had secret admirers i've been mm-hmm. a secret admirer and i've actually been the the tony character where i've ghost written secret admirer oh. letters for somebody <laughs> that's yeah, amazing and- yeah, and all the experiences were were so much fun. Yeah, like it oh, was good. just like this this thrill. Like I'll I'll say like with, with me being a secret admirer, um, it was I don't know if you ever had this. Um, uh, when I went to school in England, we didn't have lockers in the school that I went mm-hmm. to. What we had were like trays, so it was just basically like these cubby holes with sure. trays in them, and then you know it would have your name on it, and you basically just keep like your notebooks and your your pens and whatnot, your mm-hmm. supplies in there. Nothing really important, but you know the beauty of that tray was that you could like drop in oh, yeah. a letter. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And the craziest thing was like, uh, you know, I had this this crush on this girl, and um, this would be funny too if she actually accidentally listens to it, like she looks me up and then she finds this podcast because it's been so long. So I'll, I'll name her. Her name was Rachel. No last name though, so mm-hmm. I won't dox you. But Rachel. Um, uh, so I had this, the biggest crush on her, but you know, I was a shy guy. So it was like, I, I couldn't express it directly. And maybe I still have that, that issue, even though, you know, I've, I've obviously dated and had girlfriends, but you know, it's still something that I, I have to overcome. Mm-hmm. So like, I thought writing a letter would be, um, you know, the, the best way to do it. And then, you know, I wanted, I was adding all these layers, the intrigue, the mystery. And in a way, like, I guess I want to see a movie like that maybe i'll make it where it's like secret admirer but it's more like a murder mystery (laughs) but um but yeah instead of uh you know the killer killing someone it's like they wrote a love letter and you're trying to figure out who it is Mm -hmm. like there is a movie that's sort of like that but it's not a letter it's it's actually like a guy who basically like uh had sex with a girl during a blackout and he couldn't remember who he didn't see the girl so he's like trying to figure out who this girl is it's called a hundred girls it's a really underrated like late 90s early 2000s movie that i i liked i think it was like a direct to tv movie mm-hmm. um yeah. and it had um larissa olenic who's like a childhood crush of mine you know um uh but yeah it was like that kind of idea like i like that that intrigue of like trying to figure out who it is and i i thought this movie would play out more like that but yeah, going back to that secret admirer thing. So I wrote this letter to this girl named Rachel and she obviously read it. But like, I guess this must be something to do with like my type of girl. Like I, I was like looking because the classroom was tiny. So I could see her reading it and trying to see her reaction. And her reaction was kind of like nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was just like, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I, that's my type. I like girls that are tough to read. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so that was her and but the funny thing was so she shared it with her friends her her friend group because they all sat on the same table and they were reading it and they were just like swooning over the letter and what ended up happening was like all her friends all ended up having a crush on me but not her wow (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean crazy thing i can kind of I, i remember i was in a situation where it wasn't a secret admirer, but it was like a girl um, said she had a crush on me. And it was hmm. maybe one, maybe one of the first times that that had happened. And it froze me. Like, it didn't nudge me either way. I just was, like, frozen and didn't know what to do. Right. And I remember my friends were, like, 
come on, yeah, she she likes you. And but I just like I I just was like yeah I don't know like I, I just didn't know I I couldn't search my feelings quick enough to know how I felt I just knew right. it was like intimate it was like too intimidating for me at that time, and mm-hmm. then like a couple of weeks later my friend started to like date her, oh and it was, man and, and and it was like that <laughs> aspect where I was, then I was like regretful and then that's sure. how I knew oh I think I'm now ready for the, for the next one you know what I mean yeah. So well, yeah, so know. it could have just been something like that where it just it caught her at a place where she just didn't know how to process it. Sure. Yet, yeah, you know and I mean? I mean just a weird kind of little detail too was that um, uh, the way that our attendance was arranged was basically from oldest to youngest. It wasn't in alphabetical mm-hmm. order. So when uh, okay. they would check attendance, like it would be like the oldest person is first, and mm-hmm. I was the oldest person in class, and she was the youngest, so I was first, and she was last in oh, attendance. Yeah. So it was just this weird thing, like maybe it was like, it, I mean, it wasn't like a huge age gap. I think it was probably one year, you know, because we were in the same class. Yeah. But still, it was just that that thing of like maybe, yeah, you, you know, it caught her on her. I, I mean, I, I probably was her first ever like admirer, even mm-hmm. not even yeah. secret admirer. But yeah. yeah, that was just funny. And then like, um, you know, it's kind of like a be careful what you wish for kind of thing because, of, yeah, just... I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to react with her friends, like, you know, having a crush on me now. Like, I was like, I don't know if I want this. Like, I, I still want Rachel, you right. know. And now just thinking about it, I never even, like, planned this out really to answer this question. But I realized, too, my my three phases of of the secret admirership hmm. uh, was also, like, tied to, like, I guess the times because, you know, Obviously, when this happened, this was like maybe sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no no cell phones yet. You know, um, we still wrote things down. And, you know, it was even like the time of that's another lost art. You know, the passing of the note oh, in yeah. class you know, oh, <laughs> kind of so thing. Good. Yeah. Or like passing drawings. Have you ever done a, a what is that? Um, what are those called? Exquisite corpse. What's that? Um, it's basically when you fold a piece of paper and then one person draws like you know, yes. one segment of it and then yes, you I have it. played that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's really great. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So it was that time. And then the, the second time where I ghost wrote something, um, yeah, cell phones were starting to come in, but th- it was still like written. And I remember this guy, like it was this, this feeling of more like I, I was, I, and I guess this is what I get from watching romantic movies too, of just like this vic- vicarious thrill of seeing somebody like fall for someone. Like I've always mm-hmm. loved like setting people up and like, especially when I find myself like between two people that like they should get together. I like try to do everything to kind of make it happen, you know? So I think it was natural for me to just be that ghost writing, <laughs> uh, secret admirer too. And that, yeah, this was like later on in high school, maybe like, I think it was almost like senior year of high school, mm-hmm. just before college. Um, so yeah. And I just remember the guy asking me to write it. Like he said, I want something that sounds like Julia Roberts, um, in Notting Hill saying, I'm just a girl standing in front of a guy asking her to love her and then, you know, asking him to love her. So he, he wanted me to write something like that, but it was funny because it was like, I, I obviously wrote it the way I would write it. And the girl that I sent the letter to figured it out right away. She oh, was like, no. there's no way this guy is this smart to write. <laughs> you know, I'm not tooting That's my own funny. horn, but it was just like the guy 
who had me write that he's not the most literate person. Sure. You know, so so she figured it out right away that it was like, he didn't write this, you know, because the other weird thing about it, you know, was like, I wrote it first, you know, by hand, longhand, and then he had to rewrite it so it would be his handwriting, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously uh, th- that's the other thing about me. Like, I do have very unique handwriting. Like, people would recognize it right away. So... Yeah. Uh, so we had to do that. But, you know, it's even like the logistics of figuring that out. That was fun. And then, yeah, finally, when I had a secret admirer in college, like this was like the the early stages of cell phones, you know, like I had a Nokia 3310, you know, it's like that green screen with the, the pixelated characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, again, going back to like a simpler time, like the innocence of it of like you could just text somebody randomly and like be hey you know it's like and then the other person's wondering who's this and then you can be like oh it's you i'm your secret admirer you know kind of thing Whoa, like can yeah. you guess like that was a, a period of time that you could do that now you can't like in the innocence is over like yeah. somebody texts that insta block yeah it's like yeah yeah you don't want to entertain that i mean you know i've had that too like even recently like somebody will text me and be like Oh, you seem like a very uh like they they got the wrong number or something, and then I say no, the, you got the wrong number, and they're like, oh, you seem like a very kind person. Like, uh, what's your name? Blah blah mm-hmm. blah, and I just don't respond to it. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I don't want to make like friends. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is funny how like whatever that lane was of like flirting, um, you know, like say you know it's like a it's like a street with. Now mm-hmm. the the width of that street used to be wider, right? Like the things you could have done, um, flirting but not be a creep. Whereas right. like that lane has gotten smaller and smaller Very over true. time. Where it's just like almost any kind of flirting, um, you know. Well, I don't want to say any kind, but but yeah, just like you have to be a lot more, I guess, selective and careful because it's yeah. like you you can really easily go into that creep territory. Whereas like um yeah in this yeah like in this in this movie here like michael walks up to to kelly preston at a party and and like starts like really hitting on her hard (laughs) yeah yeah it's true and i mean you know it's funny too with like pickup artistry and like how you know that that's still something that's now archaic that they still try to show it's like oh if you're just confident enough to approach the pretty girl you know, yeah. like it's going to pay off. But, you know, <laughs> it, it's not that case because, you know, it, it, so much of it is now presentation. And, you know, I, I, I know I'm well aware of like how I come across like I am a very weird mm-hmm. guy. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can understand how that can be misinterpreted. And, you know, I definitely am more um, ironically enough, you know, I'm still a single guy. And um, I, I quit dating apps. Like, I'm not on dating apps mm-hmm. anymore, uh, which is, I guess, the closest that we can get now to, like, I guess, um, a secret admirer, you know? Because even, like, Tinder would right. have that. Like, the last time I was on, I haven't been on Tinder for over a year, but, like, they would have this thing called secret admirer where it's, like, a blurry photo of somebody, you know? So you have oh. to guess who it is. And, like, you know, you can kind of 
you're piecing it together in terms of like, oh, say that you can see a green piece of clothing, you know, so you try to look for that. And, you know, it's like when you see it, it's like, oh, if I swipe right on this, it's like it's going to be an instant match, you know, because mm-hmm. they're my secret admirer. But it's all a ruse. Like they just do that. You know, it's hidden behind a paywall. So like if you mm-hmm. buy like their their Tinder Brutal. plus or whatever, yeah, you'll see it. But yeah, it was just like that time of like texting and like being yeah, and I even I guess I I became a secret admirer again. Like I was texting somebody else like I got their number. Um and it's just this whole thing of like college being that bigger world mm-hmm. where you know, it could be anyone, you know, cuz I honestly believed like this person basically gave me a fake name and what they were, you know, what their major was and I was like trying to figure out who that was, but mm-hmm. you know, I was a freshman, so I didn't know that many people, so I couldn't really ask. You know, um, until like, yeah, eventually like it was revealed who it was and like I was kind of disappointed, (laughs) you know, and then it didn't work out. And I don't know, maybe this is my kind of hang up that like uh, I guess I I prefer to be the pursuer. Mm -hmm. So when somebody else is pursuing me, I'm not like as um, into it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so uh, but yeah that's my history of uh being well, good. being and having secret admirers and ghostwriting that's good <laughs> secret that, admirer. Yeah. that's rich man i think yeah. i think uh you have all the makings there to write your own 20 you know you know or uh revamp you know yeah. of this, uh, uh, this yeah i mean for for all we know like i i may just make a period film you know like yeah. it, it may have to be that because it's just with technology and again you know saying that like exp- uh, that lost innocence like i may have to set it like 20 years ago like it may have to be tw- 2002 you know yeah. just go back to that year which was like a different time now it's, it's yeah. you know um oh. yeah so um mm-hmm. yeah uh, as we're wrapping up i do want to mention like what a banner year 1985 yes. was and the reason why this movie is largely forgotten and i don't think mm-hmm. gets enough love um what do you think steve was like the biggest movie of of 1985 um i mean i i want to say like uh back to the future you're absolutely correct yep that was the box office hit of that year but you know you mentioned clue another movie we've covered uh two other movies we've covered on this podcast commando Commando, was 1985 um to live and die in la oh Um, yeah (laughs) yeah teen wolf Oh, um, I love Teen Wolf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another great teen movie. Whoa! So, um, so my, Michael J. Fox had two eighty-five. Yeah, hits. Wow. yeah, and and Kelly Preston was in Secret Admirer and Mischief, which I just want to cover briefly. But let me sure. just mention a few more eighty-five movies because it's just such a great year. Reanimator. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure <laughs> was nineteen eighty-five. Um, Rocky wow. Four. <laughs> yeah. Um, Better Off Dead. Speaking of John Cusack, oh, uh, Rambo: First Blood Part Two <laughs> was the eighty-five. Uh, so you know, Stallone also had two movies. Oh, and I think Cobra was eighty-five too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So man, crazy year for Stallone. Uh, Goonies, eighty-five as well. Um, wow. Brazil. Uh, and uh, yeah, actually, my my favorite uh, Martin Scorsese movie, which I hope we can cover actually in a future episode, um, After Hours, was in okay. '85. Um, and Return to Oz, um, Fandango, which is uh, an early Kevin Costner movie, which is great. Uh, Last Dragon, and uh, I also had to mention uh, Explorers, 
which is a uh, you know I think one of Ethan Hawke's first movies. Like he's still a kid in this movie. It's like him and the uh, River Phoenix, and like um, it's directed oh, by Joe Dante. Explorers. Right. Yeah, and it's one of those like movies that's like it. It could have been even better, but it was just yeah. like um, uh, like uh, I think uh, Joe Dante was like heavily compromised by the the studio, which is sad. Oh, that was um, a great one. Yeah, and I mentioned also Breakfast Club. That was eighty five. But I do want to briefly get into mischief. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I feel like I've seen this, but it also doesn't. It partially doesn't look familiar. Yeah. It's it's a period piece. It's set in 1956, and that's its first sin. <laughs> it, you know, not not that it, it's it's its own fault, but you know, Back to the Future was set in 1955, yeah. so it was just like there was that kind of uh, crossover. And then like the movie begins with like this title card that says, you know, long ago in a galaxy far far away. Yeah, you know, Nelsonville, Ohio, nineteen fifty-six. <laughs> like that's Oof. how it begins. Yeah. And there's there's parallels with um with Secret Admirer. So again, Kelly Preston is playing the prettiest girl in school mm-hmm. who's like admired by this guy who's who's a little more kind of nerdy and uh meek uh, sure. compared to C. Thomas Howell, less assertive. Um, and he falls in love with with Kelly Preston and and dreams of getting with her, mm-hmm. and um, this is also a movie that's like a one off. Like uh, the director Mel Damsky, um, he, I think he also only directed one other movie, and then he's just had a career in in TV. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it it had potential, and the whole thing was it's actually written by uh, Noel Black, who um like. Hardcore cinephiles will know directed this movie called Pretty Poison with um, Anthony Perkins and Tuesday Weld. And it's like this cult classic, it, you know, just tying it into Guy Madden. Actually, it was in that article of that Empire magazine that I saw that was like hidden gems. And the whole thing was when people see Pretty Poison, they're like, oh, man, what else has Noel Black done? And he hasn't mm. done anything. And I kind of wish he directed this movie because mm. um, he, he mentioned like the script is is autobiographical so um it's all about this guy played by doug McCune, who's great and um you know we, we talk about like the depth of characters in in secret admirer mm-hmm. i feel like the characters in in um in mischief actually are even better okay <laughs> yeah i would say like actually mischief is the better 1985 movie with kelly Preston. oh good yeah That's so funny. i highly recommend it if people enjoyed secret admirer you have to see mischief oh, cool. um so yeah, basically, um, uh, it's it's all about his journey of trying to get with her, and then also being disappointed, realizing that it's like maybe she's not the girl that idealized, mm-hmm. and it also has like a great sex scene in it, similar to, to Secret Admirer, but um, they actually go all the way, <laughs> but again, okay. it's, it's it's done with like realism, like there's hangups in it too, like the you know the whole thing of like. Um, the little details that they add, like uh, the dog walks in while they're oh, doing God. it, and then um, also uh, like uh, you know they're so into it that basically like he starts uh, like um, unintentionally like because he's he's you know thrusting against Kelly, sure. Um, like she starts hitting her head on the headboard, <laughs> you know. It's like little details like that, sure. and it's just like a really wonderful like one-off movie. Um, and, like the whole thing about just him 
getting with her is like there's this friendship that he has with this outsider who's kind of like a a greaser kind of motorbike guy who mm-hmm. like they develop like a relationship and then yeah the the movie basically ends similarly to um not as dramatic as a secret admirer but um there there's that realization that he comes to at the end that like you know Kelly Preston is not the girl for me Ugh. you know so yeah it's a really lovely movie poor Kelly Preston man just rejected yeah. <laughs> back to back yeah i, I mean that and then her career you know like yeah. what could have been if she, if she she actually was given like an actual lead role where she's the main character not mm-hmm. just the girlfriend or the wife even though yeah. i heard she's good in um for the love of the game the kevin the other kevin costner baseball movie oh right yeah 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 i heard she's good in that and then you know yeah it, it it just seems like maybe her look came at a time when like that wasn't in like um you know like molly ringwald was like the sure. girl um whereas like the blonde just like was relegated to these roles you know unfortunately yeah, yeah. and it, it's also the the fact that she she still continued to look great through the decades like i think uh like people just re- regretted it like not giving her that role you know eventually you know because mm-hmm. they even uh hid that um that fact that she had cancer you know um until mm-hmm. she passed so like you know i'm sure there's a lot of filmmakers that are like man yeah. i wish i had cast her in something you know yeah um but yeah the other thing that, that i think hurts that hurt secret admirer is it has a really bad poster oh um, yeah um you know whereas like you know to try to differentiate your, yourself like mischief has a really good poster i just saw yeah, it's fantastic um you know obviously back to the future is really cool mm-hmm and then like later movies like you know like um like like I remember the movie Career Opportunities like I don't remember <laughs> liking the movie but the right. poster is iconic you know sure. what I mean? yeah so it's like like they really missed an opportunity of having C Thomas Howell, Lori Laughlin and Kelly Preston on the poster together yeah um that would have really I think helped sell the movie and to kind of make it more memorable to kind of cuz like when I look at the poster I don't remember the movie yeah yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, this was back when the the poster did the heavy lifting. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not like you could just bring up the trailer on YouTube back then. So it's like you see the poster in the, the lobby of the movie theater. It's like, oh, I want to see that. You know? Yeah. But yeah, we yeah. just talked about like how deep 1985 was in terms of movies. So yeah, like that's what you're up against. Yeah. Um, but you know that that's I think one of the reasons why we have this pod is to like bring attention to movies that sure. may have gotten forgotten. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm glad yeah. We, you picked it and that we got to discuss it. Yeah. Thanks, Carlo. Yeah. yeah it's like 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 I would have I've never found it if Comedy Central hadn't like forced it on me. <laughs> so like I you know it was it was just it was just the the thing to watch and uh, yeah. So right. I'm, I'm I'm happy that they made that selection. Fantastic. All right. All right, let's bring this baby home. I think that's a, that's it for this app. Um, this might be a record for length. <laughs> I think so. I uh, think we've beaten the Rob Cotto episode. <laughs> that's funny. So we, yeah. we, we, with Secret Admirer and uh, Cowards Bend the Knee. Oh, right. going back to Cowards. So Cowards Bend the Knee, that title, it's referring to um, just how cowardly the the men are 
But then what's the bend the knee aspect? Is that is it just just because it's like a saying? Yeah, yeah. It's a figurative thing of basically yeah. that, you know, you give way so you bend the knee. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you, because there's somebody stronger than you. Um, right. Or, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, in, in Guy Madden's case, it's it's the femme fatale controlling him, you know. So he, he kind of bends the knee. When you bend the knee, that means, like, you know, you give way to some, some something mm. or somebody, you know. So... Yeah, cool. that makes it's, sense. It's, yeah. yeah, it's it, it. You know how they talk about like movies being like a, a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the Guy Madden uh, movie is a coward's journey. Yeah. So yeah, awesome. It is. Yeah. Well, good. Well, all good, right. man. Um, all right. So as always, you can find us on Twitter, Movie Food Pod. It's blowing up. Yeah, man. Um, we got your letterbox, Astro Fish. We got the Patreon, Movie Food. Yeah, thanks to to those people who have yeah. signed up for that, and uh, you're you're working on their uh, their jingles, yeah, right? I'm working on their jingles. Fantastic. They're gonna get jingles. I'm not sure if they want them played on the pod or if they just want them privately. We're we're gonna f- figure all that out. Okay. But yeah, that's that's in the works. Thank you. Fantastic. So we yeah we've re- we've done it, Steve. Ten episodes, two digits. Oh, <laughs> it feels good. Yeah, I'm excited to, to rip off a couple more here, here yeah. in, in season one, and uh, it's been fun, man. I'm really, yeah. I'm really having a good time talking about these movies. Same, man. Cool. All right, so we'll see you on the next pod. All right, bye bye. Bye bye.